Hey, welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Howdy! And Jason. <laughs> hey, everyone. For the second time tonight, what's up, guys? How you doing? <laughs> First one's just an outtake. It's all right. <laughs> We're having some uh, technical problems in the studio tonight. You know, they wouldn't know that if you didn't tell them. Oh, but it's, it's fun. It's good to be human. The technical problem is known as Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you caught it on the intro, so we didn't go too far. Yeah. Um, Into the episode. Oh, I didn't record. <laughs> Uh-oh. So to catch all the listeners up, we're doing great tonight. Yeah, still doing good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah sure. <laughs> and I just want to say a thing about our little block of westerns that we've been doing. Some yeah. thoughts that I've had. Uh, you know, this is our final one. We're doing Kioma. It's from the twilight age of the spaghetti westerns as they were kind of in the decline of their big boom that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really has struck me. I mentioned it last time a little bit, but like just the the breadth and the depth of like what westerns encompass. And we've done these three films and they're each like so different, but yet totally a western. And sure. it's, it's made me feel a little bad because I feel like I was so hard on the other two films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hope that it doesn't come across like too negative. Um, I do think there's value and there's like worth in watching films that you don't like. Uh, I feel like, you know, if you, you're like us and you care about film and you love to watch film and discuss it and break it down, like, you're still getting something out of a bad film that you don't like. You know, you're learning about your taste, things that work for you, don't work for you. It's a kind of expanding your vocabulary to talk about film. It's also when you are, tend to be, like, the movie guy mm-hmm. around other groups of people, and they're always like, what are you watching? Yeah. What are you watching? Because everybody wants to know if you're really into movies. Like, yeah. that way I can be like, well, you shouldn't watch this. <laughs> Or I can be like, this sucked. You'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, it's like I reflect back and I think like Silverado, I was maybe a little too hard on that because like I, I didn't vibe with it. It was a different style. That's not really my thing. But like, you know, I respect <laughs> what it was doing. I, I, I appreciate what it's it was. It's too late now. It's aesthetics. Uh, it was this whole joke build up thing to say, you know, <laughs> fuck Brimstone. But it just don't work when I don't surprise people now. <laughs> <laughs> you, you shit all over Kevin Klein. It's too yeah. late for you, buddy. <laughs> all you fans of Brimstone out there, write us. Let us know what you think. Let us know if you think it sucks, if you agree with Dustin, or if you know he's wrong. <laughs> would you call... This just as a random thought that popped in my head. Would you call Mad Max a Western? Hmm. I mean, it's decidedly like a post-apocalyptic film. Yeah, so... It's a, it's a neo-Western. I think it has Western... Up, Jason. No, I'm like, serious. Maybe post-apocalyptic is pretty much a neo-western. Yeah, maybe. I think the DNA is in there. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if I would call it one, but there's like connecting points there. Because I was just reminded the other day about this really fun movie. Um, I don't know if I call it fun. It's kind of a downer, but um, like Pattinson is doing all the um, the rounds, like the media rounds, because mm-hmm. he's promoting Batman. But he was doing that thing where he breaks down all the films of his career. Right, right. Which I like those. I think they're pretty fun to watch. Um and I used to always hate Pattinson because I always thought of him as Twilight. And a lot then, of people are that way. I and think, then when yeah. I saw him like actually in acting, I was like, holy shit, this guy's good. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he did this cool one called uh, Rover. Mm-hmm. With, uh, I know of it, but I've never seen it. With, Is that the thing from The Prisoner? The big white balloon thing? Rover? No. No. Oh. no. <laughs> he was Rover? Holy shit. <laughs> it was uh, Guy Pierce again. No, oh, nice. Um, in a crazy role. But so was... Who was I talking about? You're talking about Pattinson. Yeah, Pattinson. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I already lost it. Uh, Yeah. But that was set in Australian Outback, and it kind of made me think it had a Western vibe. Mm -hmm. 
It's a really long way to get to that. Uh huh. No, I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah, there you go. I can see it. Argument could be made. Okay. Cool. Sorry. Derailed so that. Uh, before we dig in on Kioma, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. <laughs> but first, like we've been doing recently, I got a podcast shout out. Do it. Because we are part of the Prescribed Film Podcast Network. Woo-hoo. We love it. We love being a part of it. We love checking out the other shows. Uh, we're under no compulsion to shout out any of this. I just want to do it because I love podcasts. I love our network. Super cool. One of these days, I'm going to get an air horn to do when you're like, we're on the Prescribed Films Podcast Network. <laughs> you, you do edit this. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> you can't put stuff in and post. That's true. Um, so this time, I checked out the First Time Podcast. So it's got this very simple premise. Remember the first time you saw a movie that changed your life? Remember how you couldn't wait until school on the next day to go and tell your friends about it? This podcast is basically that. Except the host will always have a guest on, and they kind of share either like the host or the guest or both. It's their first time coming to a you know kind of like important film to them, maybe one they've never gotten to, like a director they liked, seeing like or seeing like something that's considered like a quote unquote classic. Um, and it's the host uh, Ted Good, and he tries to capture that feeling of that first time experience with his guest each episode. That's awesome. That's a really fun premise. Yeah, I like that. Uh, super fun. I love the idea of it. Um, and then I should say there's a bunch of connecting points in my exploration of this one. So Ted is actually one of the hosts on Attack of the Killer podcast. Cool. I talked about last time, kind of our flagship first prescribed film podcast thing. Um, the episode I checked out was on Lost Highway because I was looking at recent ones and I was like, dude, got to check that out. That's very much a you choice. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite films of all time. And by coincidence, the guest for that one was Abe from Brett and Tony with Ash and Abe. Uh Ha ha. So it was like a double connecting point of stuff I've looked at before. Excellent. Jason, do you remember the first time we met? Uh, wasn't it at the warehouse, the movie <laughs> warehouse? Like you don't remember the day perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's what like I appealed to me about the premises. I think about that like some films, like maybe you don't remember the first time you saw it, but then others like they really like strike you or there's some like meaningful thing that's mm-hmm. connected there. Like, Absolutely. And those are interesting stories. They are. That's um, cool. So it was super fun. For she rips them off and do that sometimes. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, but no, like... You ever hear? <laughs> but no, it was like... Uh, for both of them, it was their first time seeing Lost Highway. And they had each seen like other Lynch stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was their first time getting at this one. And it was so cool to just hear their excitement about it. And like them trying to be like, well, I had this theory that it was you know such and such. So there's no like deep no research. They're just reacting to the movie. Yeah, uh, kind of the back half of it. They will do trivia, but it's like you know pulled from like IMDb or stuff like that. And it's like the general like, oh, here's some fun facts about it. So they're kind of discovering it along with the audience. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I like that. Yep. So very enjoyable. Um, if you like that like high energy of just like people being super excited about something, it's a great one to listen to. Nice. What about if they were super not excited about it? Well, I don't know because I've listened to two or three. And it's all been ones where they were very eager about the film, so okay. I don't know. I don't know if they have that style too. Maybe, so it's not like the not. Brimstone episode where Jason was really <laughs> excited about it, and, <laughs> and we were not as excited about it. We should say, yeah, we've kind of been dogging on Jason. Yeah, but I didn't episode. like bringing Brimstone as like, oh, this is one of my favoriteest movies. It changed my life. I just happened to enjoy it. No, no, no. And I will defend you. Like, it's good to experiment on like an unknown. Yeah, like I'm not upset that I watched it at all. I, I would hope not. It's like I don't think it's a wasted experience. No, 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 I, no. I still find myself thinking about it. So. See, that's something. I mean, how many movies have you watched you just never think? I about mean, usually ever movies that torture children linger in your brain a little bit. Like, usually, <laughs> I mean, don't no. really. Sometimes you get you know kind of numb to it. And, so yeah, you know. first time uh, podcast. I'll put it in the show notes. Go check them out. Give them a listen. Cool. Nice, Jason. What have you been watching? I watched 
a popular mainstream film recently. Uh oh. <laughs> I watched Ghostbusters Afterlife. Why is it so funny when Jason's like, I watched a movie that the kids watch? Because <laughs> you are the resident uh, get off my lawn guy. So. I am, that's right. Hey, kids? Okay, Speaking so of I, kids, this movie's full of kids. So I'm curious what you think, because I, I talked about Ghostbusters Afterlife a while ago. See, I was, I, I thought you had. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't remember if you did or not. It was only like a month ago. And man. I was much too lazy to actually go back and check. <laughs> it's like right at the start of the episode, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's no way to know. <laughs> no way to know. So I will throw in... Um, what? Wait, what did you say about I it? I really didn't like it. You know, I didn't either. I thought it was fine. Whoa, that got loud. I thought it was fine. Calm your shit down, man. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Wait, I'm a big original Ghostbusters movie, huge fan. Oh, yeah. The first huge one is fan. Lightning in a Bottle. I worship and it's, that movie. Yeah. It is so fucking perfect. I mean, if you remember when we started this show, it was one of my five picks. Right, yeah, yeah. right. Um, I was not a big fan of the sequel. I'm still not. I'm an apologist for it. I think uh, it's... I like it. Yeah. I never even saw the other one the 2016 one or whatever it was. Yeah, because it was all women and yeah, you're a, and you're not, a, yeah. and you're a I don't want to watch a bunch of women. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> I hated it, but I will maintain that it was the script is just, God, like... Right. It didn't matter what four people you put in that film. No, it was going to be bad. Women, guys, yeah. whatever. It's it was going to be bad. Yeah. But this, to me, it just... Afterlife just felt so tonally wrong. It's just... It's, it's, it is the very definition of fan service, in my opinion. Because mm-hmm. it, it's not about Ghostbusters. It's about... How much you love Ghostbusters, and that's yeah. not Ghostbusters. You know, Ghostbusters was acerbic. It was like a Looney Tunes cartoon. You know, it was kind of there were these three schlubs, and they were sort of just going about and trying to get money. And <laughs> it wasn't about heart. It wasn't about emotion. Right. You know, that's the fans projecting their love for the original movie, and it's yeah, yeah, just yeah. <sighs> like there's only two of the original Ghostbusters that genuinely believed any of it like at all and you've got bill murray who's like basically just he's a con, a con. You know, yeah, like, he's just and so as soon as the ghostbusters get popular like big like celebrity wise amongst the city like murray is the one who's exploiting it yeah. you know and the others are like we're actually doing something but and it was just a complete retread of the original mm-hmm. uh, the actors were fine like most of the actors even the kid actors did pretty well but it just uh, i'm over finn wolfhard though man yeah, uh, I mean he's fine. So what I want to ask you—it's not his you, fault he's getting cast and everything. But it's I like mean, the second he hit puberty, he just became annoying as fuck. Well, is that part, <laughs> isn't that most children? Well, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that that same was said when I hit puberty. I'm sure that I'm I'll sure be that, annoying as fuck. I'm sure that's hard to be like a child star too and have to navigate all of that while also being in the I, public yeah, eye. I couldn't imagine. That's um, true. So what I want to ask you, Jason, is when they kind of got into the back half of the film and the old cast show up, was your heart? moved any did you feel those like the strings being plucked if there's any left in there to be perfectly honest with you i felt sad <laughs> i'm serious it, it got I, me a little I felt bit a like... little, no i mean like not emotional mm-hmm. like sad at the sight because mm. nothing against old people everyone gets old i'm old i yell at kids to get off my lawn <laughs> <laughs> but it's just they look so tired and mm-hmm. so bored like, Bill Murray could not have wanted to be anywhere else, you know? That's become his persona And now. they're there in their jumpsuits, and it just looks like... You know the scene in the sequel, the funny scene, where they're, like, at a birthday party? Yeah. That's what it looked like to me. 
And they're just showing up, going through the motions. Yeah, let's do this. But that's the joke of that scene in the sequel. Right, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, no, I didn't really get... No. Ernie Hudson has even said, like... I was listening to him in a podcast interview one time. And he even said, he's like, yeah, I mostly just do what I do now for the money. Yeah. You know, like, he was he was honest about it. He's like, I have kids to put through college. So, he's like, I right. still and take I, jobs. And I, and I respect that. You know, you're a working actor. You've got to make money. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. like, I don't... He's like, I'm not in the point of my career where I can say, like, oh, I'm only going to take this for artistic merit. He's like, yeah. no, I just... It's a job. Yeah. I mean, I'll go do it. So Okay, well, I'm not too surprised. Okay, I didn't think you would be. I don't even know why you watched it. Why did you do it? <laughs> um, It was something that Karen and I could both watch. Okay. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And I was curious. Huh. <laughs> you know, sometimes <laughs> you get a little curious, then later you regret it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all been there. How about you, Michael? I think we should save Dustin's for last. I got a double shot, so. Of course you do. Um. I stuck with the Western theme for mine. Uh-oh. At least one of us did. <laughs> Were we supposed to? No. no. Uh, well, it's this one that came out a while ago. I'm sorry, Dustin. It's on Netflix. It was a Netflix exclusive thing hey. um, that I wanted to watch, but just never got around to it. I think it was around the time that my kid was born, so it kind of... That oh, didn't what? happen. Were you busy? Yeah, I was a little busy. <laughs> a little um, bit, huh? But I watched a 2021 uh, film by director... I'm sorry if I butcher it, because I think it's James Samuel, but it's spelled like J-E-Y-M-E-S, but I still think it's James sure. Samuel. Um, it's called The Harder They Fall. It uh, starred Idris Elba and uh, almost an entirely black cast, mm. which at like already I thought that was a really interesting premise to kind of subvert the Western whole thing yeah. and not put black people in like the typical setting that you would have a black person in a western like our movie for today yeah i thought of that actually when when i was watching that um more on that later yes so i liked it i'm I'm struggling with how i feel about it because oh it's not great Mm -hmm. there's nothing new really about the story it's the same kind of retread story but it is really, really slick in how it's shot. Like it's very stylized. Um, tons of uh, blood spray. Like when somebody gets shot, it's like their blood pressure is like at three hundred psi, and it just but like explodes. Nice. Is it practical or digital? It's practical. Oh, nice. Okay, well that's a star right there's a, there. There's a couple that are digital, ad- like additions. You can mm, tell, but yeah. majority of it is practical because you see the um, the air coming off the squib. Nice. Oh, nice. Which which I like. Kind of the. Um, the Django style, yeah. you can actually see the air popping off a squid, which Man, I love. Nothing pisses me off more than digital blood anymore. It's just, it's I, so lazy and it's so like I can looking. see if you fuck up and forget to do it, like you you don't do the gag right or whatever, and you kind of try to go at it and post to fix it. It's still. Oh, I was thinking the same thing. I was watching. Um, it's not my pick for the week, but I was watching Reacher mm-hmm. on Amazon, and there's a big scene with a fire, and it's all digital fire and i'm like why man like you can't make that shit look real (laughs) like you always can tell a lot of money and effort into it no yeah uh but yeah back to the harder they fall it stars jonathan majors who was the lead in um lovecraft country oh yeah who i think is he's awesome he is he's really good he's um greatest kang in loki as well amazing um but the big sell for this one was idris elba Mm-hmm. Is kind of the big bad he's guy. He's always good. He's underused. They. Oh, he gets to play a villain. That's cool. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, he played one in Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> Someone watched Star Trek Beyond? <laughs> <laughs> he also played one in Hobbs and Shaw. Okay, you all know I'm a Star Trek fan, right? <laughs> that movie's a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, Jason. It was better than Into Darkness, but it still was just whatever. It's um, so that movie's so bad that you can still make a Star Trek reference. That's not our Star Trek reference, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Oh, and apparently they're finally doing a new one. I don't know if you saw that. Apparently all the cast is back, so they're going to do an- another one. Yeah, sure, whatever. Um, there's a lot of really fun uh, little roles in The Harder They Fall, though. Like little side characters that just have little fun quirks that feel very fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, for the... I don't want to say it being an all-black cast is gimmicky, but it feels gimmicky because of how little um, that's done, mm-hmm. you know, by how little representation is in a film like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's everybody plays it so well. Like, there's so many great lines and just swagger, like, through the whole movie. Like, everybody is putting on their best cowboy. Nice. And honestly, it's worth checking out. Like, it's not great. But you could do a lot worse with your time, though. Killer. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's a little long, though. Well, I mean, Two brave, hours, 20 minutes. Brave the halls of Netflix to chase down our westerns with that one. You know, I just thought of a western that we should have watched. Because talk about, like, <laughs> exploitation and <laughs> gimmicky. But have you guys heard of the movie uh, Terror Comes to Tiny Town? Yes. Yes. A <laughs> <The> western <laughs> with a, an all-little person cast. Uh. Wow. Yeah, save so that bad. for round two when we come back to Western, <laughs> well, or not. Okay. Save that for when we just need to tank the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going out with a bang. So I've got two to talk about. I'm trying to be quick about one because uh-huh. it's just we need to come back to this. Uh, I finally saw Malignant. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So let me get in here on this. Sure. Um, the first thing that I really want to say that's just very impressed upon me is that it absolutely is a giallo. You fucking no. Shit I'm joking. Bag. I'm joking. Uh. <laughs> I just wondered if I could pass that on you guys. No. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely not a giallo in any way or form. Um, that said, I quite liked it, to be honest. Dustin is a James Wan apologist. I am. I really love James Wan. And I, this is like the fuckingest, like, most James Wan-y James Wan film. I don't know, man. I, th- I, I also think if I came through saying, man, Malignant was awesome. It was so good. You'll dig it. You'll come back and say, no, nah, it's so good. <laughs> no. <laughs> you, n- you never know with me, right? But um. He suddenly accepts his Eastern Kentucky roots. <laughs> loses, like, brings in his accent that he's fought so hard to get rid of. He's like, no, man, I hate that movie. <laughs> um, no, I thought it was a lot of fun. I'll say this. It's not like a special movie. It's not, like, groundbreaking or anything, but... <laughs> If you've seen any other James Wan movie and you've loved it, like it's just the same <laughs> that goodness. Um, is that a Tauntaun or is that Gabriel? <laughs> it's a little of both. Okay. I even I don't know if it was intentional, but I even got a bit of a like anime vibe to it with like the intro and the way everything is in like that facility. It made, it made me think of like this early two thousands uh, manga anime called Elfin Lied that kind of has that same sort of setup at the start where there's like a crazy creature and it's breaking out. Um, and then kind of the final act of the film, like once Gabriel takes full control and just goes like insane mm-hmm. and like slaughters the whole police station. I was like, dude, this is so over the top and crazy. Like it sure was. I loved it. Um, and since I am kind of just dishing spoilers on this since it's been out for a bit, the end really got me. Cause at first I thought like for sure, for serious, they were going to kill the sister. Really? And I was like, Oh dude, if he actually does this, but then, you know, it's like, Oh, my yeah, prison thing. I, I didn't think for a minute. Oh. That actually, so if he had done that, I would almost like it even better because that would be such a dark turn for this film. Oh, that would have um, improved it for me too. Yeah. 
Uh, but overall, I liked it. I think I gave it like a four on Letterboxd. Four? Yeah. Holy shit. Oh my god. Dude, it was fun. <sighs> I mean, it was all the good James Wan stuff. You got the quirky detectives. I just don't like, understand you sometimes. They're basically tropes, but somehow they're so enjoyable. Sometimes I think Dustin is running the longest trolling con. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's waiting for me to snap. One day I'm going to snap. <laughs> Just lose it. Fucking go through your wall out the door. <laughs> okay, well, let's continue this conversation with my more important thing to discuss. The new Texas Chainsaw Massacre is out. Is it scary? A Netflix original. <laughs> Gotta throw that in there. I meant to try to watch it today, but I didn't get a chance. So um, I can't comment yet. I'll say this: I'm going to delve into spoilers because I'm pretty sure that the both of you don't <laughs> no one care. Gives a fuck, yeah. um, no, if you care at all, by the time this airs, it'll have been out at least a month. Like it's on Netflix; it's the most accessible thing you could get out right now. I doubt anyone cares about spoilers right now. If you care at all, just go watch it first before you continue this. Um, so this is like their like reboot cool, right? It's a new sure. one. It's like Halloween. Uh, it's ignoring everything but the first film. Sally's back in it. They're doing the whole like, oh, she's a badass now. It, you know, it's the new Halloweens. It's wow. that same thing. I haven't seen that before. And I have to keep myself honest. So a while ago I said, I hate the idea of reboot cools, which is still true. Mm-hmm. And I said that any film that does that, I will automatically start it at one star. And anything that it gets from me, it has to like earn that, right? Okay. Build up, from, build up from zero, basically. Right. So that said, oh, I'm getting the side eye from Jason. Because I'm going to say... Keep going. I really love this movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, I have not seen it, so I cannot okay, so judge It's or a fucking troll. He's a troll, man. No, 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 Don't no. feed the trolls. Let me, let me get into this. He comes to my house. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> well, I mean, you don't feed I have him to anyway. Be hospitable. You don't feed him anyway. He doesn't eat anything. No, he's a vampire. He's a vampire. He's a psychic vampire. He feeds off my frustration. Yeah. He is the Colin Robinson. <laughs> um, so it's almost like the anti reboot cool in a way. Because it does all those same beats of like, you've got this plucky cast of new teens. Oh, they're not teens. They're like 20 somethings. Wait a minute. If you actually like seriously liked it. And think that we should watch it and maybe like it. Maybe don't talk about spoilers. Because mm. if I know spoilers, maybe I won't be able to judge it fairly. Okay, let me spoil like two or three things. Oh, Just key, key things. Um, it's not perfect, I'll say that. Like, <laughs> Let me spoil two key things for the film. <laughs> yeah. And see if that does anything for you. If, um, if you would care about the lore at all, and I don't know why you would. Because like they've rebooted this franchise like 20 times now. Um it doesn't quite connect up just right with the first film in a lot of ways. Like you, you were joking about it earlier, Jason, but like the ages. Yeah. Cause Leatherface is like 75 or something. And when you see him in this, he's very clearly like not that old. Sure. You see him without the mask for a second. It's like, no, there's no way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just doesn't add up at all. There's some weird things about the, th- the pacing of things. Cause it's like, uh, there's one character and it's supposed to be his mom apparently, but how fucking old is she? She is not, not into the right age either. And they, their house is like in the downtown of the city now. And it's clearly laid out the same way as the farmhouse was. So you're supposed to think of that, but it's in the city. And there's this whole thing about like, it's an orphanage and she like, he was her son and she looked after people in the town and that doesn't matter though, but it's just weird. If you care about the continuity, that's not going to sync up right. Every bit of this sounds really stupid so far. I got to say. So that said the core cast, it's these shitheads from the big city and they're coming out there uh the town is basically a ghost town now and they're wanting to like buy all the property mm-hmm. and they're social media influencers and they've spiked up all this stuff about like well we're gonna buy up everything in the town and we're gonna make like all these like boutique businesses they're gentrifying we're gonna gentrify place. everything and it's gonna be this awesome get out of the city get away from the violence and just you know slow down enjoy life mm-hmm. and they're all fucking obnoxious and just terrible 
and immediately they play into some of that like you're really selling this movie so far like in like in Halloween uh, the new ones like they have all this weird like super like oh humans are the worst ever and like the film tries to like reinforce that right Mm -hmm. so in this like the people spout that stuff and then the movie like just has this huge mean streak like nihilistic tone to it where like they say that but none of it fucking matters and at every turn this movie just like beats against it Okay. I still can't figure out if he's trolling oh. me. I, and so, well, you, you've cut me back now because I don't want to give away anything, I guess. Yeah, I mean, um, if, if, if you genuinely enjoyed it. I genuinely enjoyed I it. I was not just trying expect to you to come in here and be like, here, here's what this I have to fucking say. movie, guys. This is my suggestion. If you've ever seen any Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel and you enjoyed it, this is at least worth a watch to see how you feel about it. I mean, it's already missing Bill Mosley. <laughs> and that is another of the weaknesses. Like, it's basically Leatherface. There's no, like, other family. And maybe that was an intentional thing that, like, maybe he is all that's left now or something, but I don't know. Um, if there's no Chop Top, I'm not in. There is <laughs> well, you know some, there's not he's never been in any of them after the, the one he's in. That's why I was never paying attention <laughs> to any of the other ones. It's like, is um, Chop Top there? No. There's some truly brutal, awesome kills. And this, this is the one scene I'll give that's not super spoiler. So they have this bus of, like, people that come to, like, auction and buy up the town. Mm-hmm. All, the, all these, like, random assholes that you don't care about. They get on this, like, party bus that they came there on for safety when things start getting weird. And so Leatherface, like, follows them onto the bus. Mm-hmm. And he comes Does back. Does he use the wheelchair accessible lift thing to get up <laughs> no. there? Because he's so fucking well, that, old. That's the thing. is He's clearly young. He doesn't <laughs> even have gray hair. So I don't, I don't he know does what they're it. thinking. But... <laughs> Just for men. Um, they do a neat thing with him, too, where at first he's kind of been like the mother has like taught him to be reserved and not like psycho crazy killer. <laughs> and then he like... It, she rehabilitated like, the, the switch gets, mute cannibalistic... Like the switch gets flipped in him and he just goes like balls to the wall again. But so he, he follows them onto this bus, right? And there's like about 30 people on it. It might be the night. This might be the time where I just... <laughs> he's gonna... Today's so, the day! <laughs> so he walks like in into the bus, right? Okay. Everyone's there. They immediately all pull up their phones and start like live feed, like streaming it. I think that was in the trailer, yeah. Yeah, and the guy at the front's like, hey man, watch what you're doing. If you do anything weird, we're going to get you canceled. And then he just revs the chainsaw and guns it into this dude and like pins him to the ceiling and just like rends him apart. I'm sure that the uh, the <laughs> hardcore conservatives were like, yeah, that's what we're going to do to anybody who wants to cancel um. us. Like, <laughs> Leatherface, we're going to cut him apart with fucking chainsaw, man. <laughs> he could be on their flag. That's a so, then, so then, like, the next guy, like, runs up because he's like, hey, man. And then he, like, carves him almost in half diagonally and proceeds to just, like, slaughter all 30 people on the bus and just, like, wipe them out. I'm all for slaughtering. Is um. it other practical effects mostly? There was probably some digital, but like the main parts, they looked really good. Okay. Um, everything with Sally. Again, I won't spoil this, but like the way they do her, and this is more of like my, this is the anti-reboot quote. Like she comes in and they have the setup of like, oh, it's haunted her. She spent her whole life. She became a Texas Ranger so she could try to like find him one day. It's like Walker. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. They like, up. part of the film is like, they tear that <laughs> apart that like, it gets to be this thing of like, it's such a big deal for her. And then when she finally encounters him, like he doesn't even remember her. And she's just like another another person in his path, basically to tear apart. And it totally brings that down of like this weird, like when we watched Halloween, I was like, why is this monumentous? It was just one random thing for him, and it's not significant, right? But they tried to make it significant because like, whoa, it's Laurie Strode though. But like they cut the sequels, so it's not. Um, and this one like followed that through, and like even though Sally's there, like she's really not critical to things, and things don't really go how she planned. And there's just this super super duper nihilistic ending. 
that kind of echoes the first film a little bit, but it's very dark. And I was surprised that they actually went there with it. And it was really enjoyable. I wish everyone listening could see the <laughs> you get this suspicious yeah. looks that Michael and I keep giving each other. So I intentionally did not rate this on Letterboxd yet because I thought you guys might see it. After this episode records, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to give it a four out of five. I kid you fucking not. This is what I'm worried about. So I think Kioma broke me. <laughs> and I think that I'm just... You're hallucinating right now? That this isn't real. <laughs> that, that, that this moment has not, is not happening. Well, listen, Michael, the world keeps spinning round and round. No matter where you go, you always wind up in the same place. <sighs> oh, God damn it. <laughs> so here's my final thing to say about this. Um, you kind of oh, alluded no. to what I wanted to say, Michael, which is like the weird, like there's all this conservative messaging in the film. I've already seen people being like, I'm not going to watch it because I started it and it's got all this woke shit in it. Because, like, the, the main cast is all of that. Mm-hmm. But then if you watch through the film, like, their beliefs and opinions don't even matter. And they just kind of get rendered apart by Leatherface. So I wonder if there's going to be a weird, like, two-sided thing where it's like, this movie's woke, don't watch it. And then other people watch it and they're like, this is super conservative. and The same people who yeah. are like, I'm not going to watch Candyman because I don't want politics <laughs> in my horror. Okay. <laughs> so I'm wondering if there's going to be a weird, like, double-sided dislike of this film. I don't know. Weird. We'll see, because I'm, okay. I'm right at the start on this one. So right. I will I will endeavor to watch it this weekend, and I will I say give it a shot. I really loved it. Write in, let us know what you think. Maybe I'm way off base on this one. I, I don't know. You're right. Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> up is down. Down is up. <laughs> cats Dogs and cats, cats living, living together. together. Mass hysteria. All right. I'll watch it, and I will judge it, and I will try to be open-minded. Mm. I, I went in an open minded with Ghostbusters Afterlife. I really did. And I will say, too, like, Fetty Alvarez was in on this. Like, he was a producer, and I think he helped with some of the stories. And I don't know how you guys feel about him, but I'm generally pretty lukewarm on the stuff he's done. So I, that was another, like, oh, I'm actually impressed that he was involved in this. I, I'm not a fan of the Evil Dead remake. There's some yeah. very nice gore in it, but eh, it has a kind of a cool, grungy look. But other than that, I'm really not a fan of it. And actually, I liked... Um, don't breathe. Was that the one? Yeah. yeah. I, I like that one. That's, That's probably good. my favorite that he's been in. On. Yeah. Um, so in the pantheon of Texas chainsaw, I will say, I, I think this is better to me than most of the platinum dune ones. Well, that's not exactly a high bar. I would have to really think about like Leatherface and New Generation because even though those are both kind of crappy, I have like soft spots for them. You're but, not saying it's better than two, right? Oh, hell no. Okay, no. thank God. I okay. thought he's not that At least insane. there's something rooted here. One in and two reality. are untouchable, like legendary. It's okay. fucking awesome. All right. so. Okay. Lick my plate, you dog dick. <laughs> Sorry. All right, let's talk about Kiyoma. Okay, now, fess up. You actually watched this because you thought it was a Japanese film, didn't you? No. With the title, Kiyoma. No, that was obviously like a Native American-sounding name, so. All right, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Kiyoma has um, influenced how I'm going to dress for the rest of my life. Does he not have an amazing outfit? I. It's how I want to be. He doesn't need need a shirt, that's for sure. No, he doesn't need a shirt. It's like a a ripped-open poncho. Mm Mm-hmm. Like the like, back half of a poncho. Totally like 70s tight pants. Long flowing hair. Which is a wig, sadly. Aww. Yeah. I mean, you knew it was a wig, right, Jason? Yeah, well, okay. It was pretty... I was 
given into the fantasy of it, all right? Oh, the fan- it the fantasy of Franco Nero. <laughs> yes. So this is 1976, as we said, kind of the twilight era of the spaghetti western as far as like the original big boom. Uh, directed by Enzo G. Castellari, who he has a, a bunch of uh, spaghetti westerns to his credit as well. Um, I even wanted to toss out to like, I always loved those trashy 80s post-apocalyptic films. And he was responsible for those Bronx Warrior movies. So oh, yes. Wanted to toss that in for a little love. Nice. Um, we also have a lot of spaghetti western royalty, I would say, in this film. Uh, of course, Franco Nero in the lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the big one for him is Django. But he's been in plenty of other spaghetti westerns. Even other spaghetti westerns that they tried to pass off as like Django ripoffs, uh-huh. which is hilarious. <laughs> um, Can it be a ripoff if it's the guy? Um, but he plays our lead, Kiyoma Shannon. I guess I'll drop the synopsis before I rant about yeah, these yeah, leads. Yeah, let's do that. So I'm just going to read this straight. So okay. half-breed Kiyoma returns to his border hometown after service in the Civil War and finds it under the control of Caldwell, an ex-Confederate raider and his vicious gang of thugs. To make matters worse, his three half-brothers have joined forces with Caldwell and make it painfully clear that his return is an unwelcome one. Determined to break Caldwell and his brother's grip on the town, Kiyoma partners with his father's former ranch hand to exact a violent revenge. Mm, yeah. Succinct synopsis. Pretty straight-up spaghetti western plot. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But this film's all about execution, I think. Mm-hmm. So to continue on with our big stars, uh, the father of this, this like group of brothers, William Shannon, is played by William Berger. So he is also Spaghetti Western royalty. He's been in a ton of stuff. Uh, notably, he was in one of the Sartana flicks. I don't know if you guys have seen any of I those. I have not seen those, actually. No, no They're pretty fun. They're almost like a Western James Bond, because he has like weird little gadgets huh. he uses. That's kind of fun. Like He has like a one-shot pistol up the sleeve that like shoots out and cool stuff. Kind of like Jeff Goldblum had in Silverado, Yeah, I was right? going to yeah. say, you had a problem with that. Yeah, but it's okay when it's Italian. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. There's a gravitas there. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> um, and then also he was in um, Sabata, which is a great West, spaghetti western with uh, Lee Van Cleef. Oh, cool. In a major role. That's another one I've heard of, but I haven't seen. Also super fun. And then we have Woody Strode, who's had a huge prolific career in film in general. Oh, yeah. And he plays... Uh, George. It. George, yes, which is the aforementioned ranch hand. Um, and so for Spaghetti Western devotees, what you're really going to know him for is he was one of the three gunmen at the train station in Once Upon a Time in the West. Classic sequence. Classic sequence, super iconic. He's also in a bunch of John Ford movies. Yes. Including or oft-mentioned for some reason The Man Who Shot Liberty Violence. <laughs> Why are you saying it's why why are you saying it's it's <laughs> off mention, Jason? <laughs> Talk about it a lot for some reason. Oh my god. I, I, I don't under, I don't understand why. <laughs> oh but why? Thank you, Jimmy. Why? Uh, <laughs> do you guys know what his last without looking it up, his last credited uh film role was? I do not. It was uh Sam Raimi's Quick and the Dead. Oh cool. Oh cool. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Such a sad movie. Yeah, I never. Strange, I never cared for that one. Well, no, I mean it's like not sad. Like the movie wasn't sad. It's just like that was apparently almost drove Raimi to no longer make movies. Oh, I can believe that. It was. I think working with Gene Hackman alone could. It was apparently an absolute nightmare of a film set. Yeah. And Raimi was almost like, "I'm fucking done. (laughs) I don't want to make movies anymore." 
Um, also, just in, I thought it was notable for us, um, the story, the original concept was made by George Eastman. Yes, I saw that. And I was like, fun. ooh, George Eastman. Um, he, he needed to be in this movie. He should have been like the big bad or something. You know, one of the brothers kind of had the vibe of him. Yeah. I thought he totally could have played that character. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because this might clear some stuff up for you guys if you didn't know it when you were doing research. A lot of the story of this film was improvised as they shot it. Yeah, that feel that feels right. Um, so basically, like Eastman, Eastman like wrote this treatment right. And yeah, they then, didn't like it. And then they're like, "This is cool. Let's turn it into a script." They got two other guys to make a screenplay, mm-hmm. and then Castellari really didn't like the screenplay, and he was like, "I like the idea, but I don't like what you've done with it." But they were ready to go, and this was. And shot, then George Eastman showed up and tried to kill him. And this was shot in like I want to say eight weeks. Yeah, so they had a real quick turnaround on it. And it was just like they would show up, they would shoot some stuff, and then that night they would kind of like pull together and work on things. It's kind of a stream of consciousness type movie. I can um, see that. And Franco Nero even said like a lot of his like major lines in the film, he just got to write himself. That's Did he of- write the, his last line of the film himself? <laughs> we'll get to that. That broke me. That completely broke you me know, for the rest of the day. I think that's a super <laughs> cool moment. You gotta start watching these movies at night so your whole day isn't just. <laughs> Um, I knew this would be divisive, but we'll get into that. Um, so I think that's enough of the background in general. I might pepper in a little more as we go. So let's just get into the actual film itself. Oh, and apparently, a little bit of trivia. They thought that the the word Kioma meant freedom. The filmmakers thought this, but apparently right. it means far away. Oh. Which is funny, because when you see, like, who Kiyoma is as a character. They clearly wanted him to like embody that idea of yeah, freedom. Yeah. But then that's not what it means. It's kind of the whole post hippie thing going. Which is such a like spaghetti western thing to do that they, yeah, they, get, they get that so. wrong. Yeah. So this film opens, and I think the first thing I want to say about this movie, maybe you guys agree, maybe you don't, I don't know. I think it is beautifully shot. No, it looks good. And there's a ton of interesting visuals. So like the first thing you get, Kiyoma's kind of riding through this abandoned ghost town. Mm-hmm. And the opening shot is like inside a building looking out through a door yeah. at him as he's approaching. Yeah. And there's just so much like style to this one moment even, just like to open a film on. It's a very cool like, opening. Fuck, man. It looks so good. Yeah. There's a lot of really... I. That's honestly some of the standouts for me mm-hmm. are some of the scenes and how it's shot and like... The there, execution, some very clever shots. In yeah, movie. and there's some great like exteriors, like when he's just riding and they have the huge panned out moments, and you just see the uh, Roman countryside <laughs> where they shot it. Yeah, but I also love how you, usually on the exterior scenes in the city in the, in the town, you always see the dust flying around everywhere, mm-hmm. and it looks really cool. And there's a general like one of the themes of this film, and we, we'll get into it more later. But like, there's this whole like everything's dilapidated and broken down and falling apart. Yeah. And a fun note I wanted to throw in there, where they shot this, it was the sets that they used for Django mm-hmm. some years ago. And so literally parts of the town are like the rotting remains of the Django set. Yeah, it was that's perfect for fun. this movie. Yeah, And that's so interesting. Don't touch a thing, it's perfect. <laughs> that it's like that. And then like Franco Nero is the lead in both of them. And you got that like connective tissue. Mm-hmm. Super You're, cool. See this spot over here? <laughs> <laughs> totally shagged her over there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he's just uh, he's a drifter, right? He's wandering around. Um, mm-hmm. Your typical spaghetti western type hero. And almost immediately we get a, a little bit of weirdness, because as he's riding, he rolls up on this strange old woman. Mm-hmm. Credited as the witch. The witch, yes. And she kind of has this cryptic conversation with him. We get a sense of you know who he is and what he's been up to. And he's gone off. He's fought in the Civil War. For the Union. For the Union. 
and now he's coming back home and he's kind of you can tell he's haunted that's like that's the number one descriptor i would use to describe this character is he's he's seen a lot of shit he's been through a lot yeah at least the italians got that part right they're like we should have him fight for the union correct <laughs> yeah. yeah right <laughs> been awkward if they're like he's a confederate soldier <laughs> jo- josie wells was uh, yeah at least they kind of rectified that in the film so. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so they have this odd exchange a little bit and then he kind of rides on and it starts here but you really get it more later there's this question of like who is this character and what is she is she real or not and that's a pervasive thing throughout the film yeah and that's where some of that like acid western vibe came in that I was talking about of where they have like surrealist elements mm-hmm. just blended in and I like the, the flashback in this scene too because she like looks off to her right and it, it's almost like a play because mm-hmm. she looks off and then like behind her are, are actors reenacting the flashback yes and that's a stylistic thing. It's all thing. kind of in camera and it's neat. Yeah. And that's a stylistic thing of the whole film. It's like almost every time they have a flashback, it blends yeah. what's going on with the past at the same time. It's really cool. I like that. Um, definitely had to be inspired by Once Upon a Time in the West because they kind of do that too. Yeah. But they re- they really like innovate on that, I think, a little bit and blend it so well. Um, so he rides on and this is where we get maybe the next thing we should talk about because <laughs> in true spaghetti fa- fa- uh, Western fashion... He's got the title track theme song with the vocals. I think this broke, Michael. Do you remember the text that I sent you when I was watching it? Oh, yeah. Like, how long does this caterwauling go on for? <laughs> I said, is this is the score nothing but this woman caterwauling for the entire movie? And it was. Okay, okay, okay. When this score came up, I was like, whoa, okay. That's a bold choice. All right. <laughs> Fine. It's it, it's to be over soon. Nope. But then it keeps happening. <laughs> and then they add a dude in. And then a dude comes in. He comes in and he starts, uh, so you have like a, uh, and then you've got Yoko Ono fucking in the background. Like, <laughs> Michael's making it sound way cooler than it actually is. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, like from the first time I saw it, I really liked it. Of there's course something, you did, There's Justin. something weird and like interesting about oh, it. Oh, it's weird. Of fucking and, course you well, did. according to Nero, it was inspired by Leonard Cohen, the music. Hmm. Okay. I could see the Cohen part, like with the, the male vocal. The male vocal yeah. is very Leonard Cohen, but like you're right. The other one's more Yoko Ono. Very That's Yoko good. Ono. <laughs> yeah. and I should say I ran out after I first saw this and bought the soundtrack on CD. So you know, I can I can handle I can handle the soundtrack. I can't believe you bought this on CD. <laughs> <laughs> He's got it on vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> I can handle the the music. Okay. What really annoys me is that they just recount everything that we've just seen. <laughs> So, so this is what I want to talk about. This the vocals of these songs are narration of like what you're seeing or what you've just seen. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, because we just saw it. Or, or, or sometimes it's like background information that no one's giving up, but yeah, you're being given it by the song. It's very strange. Um, it's what very it, strange. You guys are gonna hate me for this, but what it really made me think of is when you have like if you go back to like Greek tragedies, right? You have the Greek cor- chorus. You have yeah. the chorus. I thought, they, I thought the same thing. Yeah, they kind of you're not being a pretentious prick. They kind of toss out well, the story to the audience and comment on things and give like extra detail and ideas. Sure. I really thought that was trying to like incorporate that element into a western. Maybe, yeah, that, but that's it's the impression I got. fucking caterwauling going on the whole goddamn <laughs> that they weren't time. the best songs. It wasn't the best music. I said I told my wife asked me she was like how is the movie? I was like well is Lady caterwauled through the oh, whole goddamn. Oh, she wasn't watching it with you. No, me and Hawthorne watched it. Was Hawthorne like disturbed by it or anything? I told you the only time that he looked at the screen, and we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Um, 
my wife was not familiar with the term caterwauling. <laughs> well, she'd probably call it something else altogether. I don't, she was like, what is caterwauling? And then I tried to explain it. My wife isn't from Kentucky, so. It's one of those unique terms. Yeah. <laughs> so the notable thing from this conversation, though, is that she asks Kyoma, like, why did he come back here? And suggests that he shouldn't, because if he comes here, he's only going to find death waiting Kiyoma! for him. Yeah, there's an awesome shout. And I I pulled a bunch of quotes from this film because I love so many pieces of his dialogue. And I know they're kind of cheesy, maybe. But there's some good dialogue in here. So when she asked him that, he just he's almost like that silent protagonist of a spaghetti western, but he does talk a lot. And when he does talk, he just like belts out this crazy stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. So what he says is, the world keeps going around and around, so you always end up in the same place. Mm-hmm. Which is what I jokingly tossed out at you earlier. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. <laughs> I don't know. And it's the way he delivers it. No, Franco Nero oozes charisma. He's mm. very cool. Did and you, some of the lines are cool. Did you guys watch this English dubbed or Italian dubbed? Oh, English dubbed. English dubbed. I think that's the best way too. for Spaghetti Western. I think that was intended for this one, too. And I should say the interesting thing is in Django, where that was so earlier in his career, they had someone else dub him for English. Oh, that's not right. Because they thought he had too much of an accent. Mm. His and accent's I, what makes it cool. Yeah, and I guess you know in this one, they were okay with that. Maybe his voice was a little clearer. We, we can't know. But I think the fact that he even has the accent still, it makes it sound really cool. Yeah. It definitely um, makes me question a lot of backstory. <laughs> it's like, I'm automatically like, what well, that's, tri- that's why the singers are there to tell you what you're not saying. What on tribe the are you from, sir? <laughs> the Spanish tribe <laughs> Spanish. of Spain <laughs> or Italy? I'm not sure which tribe you're from. <laughs> I personally love the flashback of him and George, Mm -hmm. I guess, children. And it was not the same actor, I don't think, right? No. But that dude was ridiculously ripped. Yep. And And shooting the bow and just like... And it's like he's very oiled, too. So they're like very specifically... I mean, you can tell I like that part. Just let's talk about that part. (laughs) Well, Woody Strode probably just got off the set... Well, it wasn't the same same, same actor, but he probably just got off the set of uh, one of the Swords and Sandal movies. (laughs) Steve Reeves, and he was all oiled up still. But but my favorite is that you still know it's Kioma because he still has the exact same hair. Yes. That's like... It's like they made a child's version of the wig. Yeah, it's like the same hair, and it just keeps going and as kind he of the gets same older. Little jacket, too. yeah, yeah, and <laughs> they make sure you see his same little uh, headband too. Yep. Yeah, so that way you know you know it's Kioma. But this is important scene because this is where he's learning how to do all of his like um, knife throwing and bow shooting and. Mm. and well, stuff. you're jumping ahead too because we have you know. Uh, it's fine to jump ahead, but he has to save the plague person first. Yeah, we'll get into that, but my last little parting shot. <laughs> what plague are they talking about? I think V plague, bubonic, capital B plague. V plague, capital P plague. Which it has broken out around the world here. I mean, it's still there. We haven't eradicated it. Oh, yeah, because it's treated by penicillin. <laughs> it's like that's the easiest thing to treat. Um, my parting shot on the music. So it was made by Guido and Maurizio De Angelis. And I wanted to talk about them for just a second because they've actually done a ton of other stuff. Oh, great. So things that we would know or care about. They did the score for Yor, the Hunter from the Future. Oh, God. Uh, they did the score for Trinity is My Name. I don't know if you've seen any of the Trinity films. Is that a Matrix sequel? No, they're like these comedy westerns where okay. they're a little more like goofy. Oh, all right. um, that might fit them a little better. They're pretty fun. <laughs> so here's one that will surprise you then. Uh, they did the score for Torso. Huh. Yeah. That's a little surprising. Uh, some other ones that we would know or care about. I don't remember as much caterwauling. <laughs> no, I don't either. Um, the Mountain of the Cannibal God. Huh? 
Um, they did a Blade in the Dark, which was one of those earlier Lamberto oh, yeah. uh, Bavas. I've got that one, yeah. Uh, and then this was just for you, Jason, because we watched it together. Raiders of Atlantis. Yeah. They did the score for that. Okay. So these guys... They, they got, redeemed a little bit in my eyes. They got some range. I still don't... Mm. <laughs> no, when the male guy started singing, I thought maybe that was Franco Nero doing the vocals. The I'm, male... I'm kind of dis- disappointed it wasn't. The male part was cool, because... It did have that Leonard Cohen, like, yeah, the kind of low, kind of low, type thing. and those parts through the movie are clearly <laughs> meant to be like his internal thoughts for right. some of the scenes, which is cool. But his high range is batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he he rides on and he comes to uh, this little like area with some bandits, and they've rallied up some people. They're escorting him along. Yeah, they're in this really rickety cage, and there's some him. there's some dudes, the Confederate dudes here that like ham the fuck out of the oh, yeah. scene oh, yeah. and i do kind of love that sure they're having a great time the one guy who's prevalent through most of the film the blonde dude yeah, yeah. like a dirty blonde yeah he's he's really like oh yeah somebody he's... was like just just do whatever you want to do and he's like i'm going for it i'm yeah. swinging for the fences <laughs> <laughs> look at you city boy <laughs> is he southern or is he a witch <laughs> i don't know I don't he's know. super fun and i like that he makes it so far because he has so many great lines yeah just entertaining <laughs> Uh, but they've rounded up plague victims from the local town, and they're escorting them out. Yeah, get rid of them, keep the town safe. Which, uh, I mean, kind of makes sense, you know. Um, they obviously didn't take the vaccine for the plague, so... But they're treating them like <laughs> crap. And this is where we meet they our are. other main character, uh, Lisa Farrow, played by Olga Carlados. Mm-hmm. Uh, pregnant woman, she's there with her husband... And they're going to try to make a break for it and escape. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to distract him and you run. <laughs> and it's one of those great distractions because he, he does run out and he promptly gets killed. She just stands there. She doesn't, she doesn't take advantage of it. She's just standing there. Ooh, but no, it no. does incite the other captives to try to run. And they all start running. And they, they all shot. suck when they get shot. <laughs> I, do, I do think one of the things that was a little interesting, and this film does play on race quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, that most of the people they rounded up were not did not look like them. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting yeah, they that they're covered in plague boils. <laughs> well, but it's interesting that they're saying that they're rounding them up because of the plague. Oh, uh, it's an excuse. Yeah. I think they're just being racist. So you think the plague was like some sort of government conspiracy just to get these people rounded up and not government conspiracy, just racist conspiracy, <laughs> oh, Jason, Okay. by the uh, ex Confederate that's now controlling the town. Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sounds kind of government. to me. <laughs> kind of sounds like maybe he'd lost and just thought he'd go somewhere else and mm-hmm. keep doing the same thing. I mean, isn't that what our ex-president's doing? <laughs> How's that uh, social media platform coming up? <laughs> haven't checked on that, and I don't think we're going to put our podcast there. Um, I don't even remember what it was called. I don't either. No one does. So, you know, nick of time, Kiyoma shows up, mm-hmm. guns the guys down, super awesome. We get one of the other like cool visual things. They do a lot of slow motion in this film, but it always the way they frame it, it always looks pretty cool to me. Yeah, it's very Sam Peck and Paul. Yep, um, totally. But I really one one of my one of my gripes, and this will come as no big surprise. There could have been more blood. Yeah, I wanted to see big bloody squibs when they got shot because that was a great thing about Peck and Paul. He'd slow it down, and blood's going mm-hmm. everywhere. And yeah. All, we just I, how did you guys gloss over though when you're like Kiyoma shows up and he guns them all down. He doesn't gun them down first. He throws a fucking buoy knife yes. like a hundred feet from the top yes. of a cliff that like <laughs> impales this dude in the side. This dude is killer with a knife. So oh, I kind of yeah. thought like when it when the dude because they don't show him throw it, you just hear like a yeah, and he like dude gets hit with it and he's like oh, 
And I'm like, well, they're going to pan over and he's going to be like sanding there or whatever. <laughs> and, it, and it pans and he's like up on a fucking cliff yes. looking down on them. And I'm like, holy shit. He rode a natural 20. <laughs> this dude's dynamite. But the thing is, he doesn't kill all of them. Mm-mm. And he just kind of rides up. And that first guy that he killed, he takes his horse. Mm-hmm. Gets uh gets uh, Lisa on the horse. Yep. And they just ride off, and no one has the balls to even try to step up to him to well, stop him. I appreciate the weapon that he uses for most of the movie. He uses this fucking badass sawed-off shotgun. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and it's for close range. It's well, great. if it's him, he could shoot it from the top of the cliff, and it would like hit the dude in the eyeball. Probably better throwing it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, don't forget this is Franco Nero. So it's true. This dude is a master of throwing things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but he rescues her. They ride on, head back to the town. Mm-hmm. We get some more like beautiful scenic shots as they ride and along. And some more caterwauling, I think. Oh, a yeah. lot of caterwauling. A little bit more. There's some talk about like the futility <laughs> that he thinks he can try to save her. Mm-hmm. I remember just sending you guys the depressed emoji when you were like, <laughs> no, it doesn't stop. And it's like, oh. <laughs> okay. Um, just keeps going, does it? So cool. they, get it, they get into town. This is where we have the... Just Amazing looking, like dingy, ran down, crappy looking city. Yeah. And this is, I'm gonna, I hate to, I hate to do it, but I'm gonna bitch on Brimstone again. When they walk into the saloon, <laughs> this is a fucking saloon, man. Like, it bothered me the whole time, and I don't know if I said it in the episode, but Frank's Inferno was like so clean and so kept and like pristine in a way that like it didn't feel right. Well, like, maybe Frank was just an excellent proprietor uh, of his. <laughs> he took pride in his business. But this is like you, you come in; it's crowded, it's packed. Everyone's just drinking, kicking back. the The saloon girls are in like you know tight dresses. They're like throwing all over everyone, having a good time partying. And it's like as Kioma enters, there's just a layer of dust just like rolling around inside this place. I thought, yeah, I thought it wasn't like sawdust or something. Wasn't it like just like a dirt floor, basically? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if that's where you want to go party, that's cool. Those are Dustin's favorite bars. If there's sawdust all over the ground, he's down. He'd have been just at home with some of those bars he'd been to and like watching metal bands and stuff. You're like, is this a toilet? I'm peeing here. It is. Now. I don't know if it is or not, but I'm peeing here. Um, but this is also the first time we get a look at George, which was the ranch hand that we we have that flashback where. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he taught Kioma how to shoot a bow and presumably the knife throwing. Presumably. Um, he's kind of playing a little banjo. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the line that they say later on when George is playing the banjo? I think it's the uh, blonde Confederate guy or something about he drops the end bomb on him, but then like says something about this town doesn't need your shit, like yeah. the sound of your music or yeah. something, too. Very dismissive. <laughs> Um, I was like, damn. Yeah, he, Clearly, he hasn't heard the person singing over this movie. <laughs> Your music's bad. You should feel bad. They don't They don't hear that. It's only Kioma, apparently. Oh, great. That's why he's so mad and crazy all the time. It's like, if you heard Yoko Ono screaming in your ear 24-7, you'd be pissed off, too. But so he sets Liza at a table. And immediately they're like, hey, that's one of those plague victims. Yeah, he's brought this plague girl. Get her out. Get out of here. Leave. And Kioma's at the bar. But notably, a little plot point I want to throw in there. Yeah. Um, it's a little line of dialogue at that start when they're all captured. Um, they kind of gloss over it, but her husband is infected. They don't know if she's infected or not because she tries right. to touch him at one point. And he says, don't touch me or you're going to catch it too. Right. So it's clear that maybe she's not infected and they just kind of pulled her because like, well, 
your husband had it, so you're probably going to get it. Well, she doesn't have pustules all over her mm. yet, so, you know. So it is a little, like, up in the air. Is that true or not? Sure. Yeah. They, they have penicillin at this time, right? I don't know. When was penicillin invented? You should have looked that up before out. we started recording. I'm going <laughs> to interject here in a minute. Keep going. Oh, yeah, but so they want to throw her out. Kilma's not having it. No. He kicks the mess. And when the guys come up behind him, there's that great scene where the bartender just fluidly, slowly lowers <laughs> yes. behind the bar. It's like he's on the lift or something, and it's just like... <laughs> I was way the fuck off. It's not until 1928. So. So I didn't think I so. Didn't think so they're so. fucking dead, man. Yeah, they're, see? I thought it was a while. They're dead. Sorry. Which this scene got you, right, Michael? The bartender lowering down. <laughs> the, the timing of it is so it's perfect. perfect. Yeah. yeah. I actually horse laughed just like that. <laughs> yeah. Like... Because he, he doesn't, his waist doesn't bend or anything. No, he just, just like it's like when you do that elevator, the elevator thing when you're behind the couch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought he might come back up and do like the steps. <laughs> but he he did come back up the same way later. Yeah. Like when Kiyoma looks over, and he's like, "Drink." He's <laughs> <laughs> just like, "It's <laughs> great." That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So he so he kicks them ass. He he gets a drink, and then he's like, "I want a room." They're like, "Well, we don't have any rooms." Oh, wait, there's another great line that you're missing here. Oh. It's like, because one of the guy has a lever action rifle. Oh, yeah, yeah, And he yeah. tells him to empty it. So he's like, chick, 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 chick. and then Kiyomo's like, you forgot one. <laughs> 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 he's counting the rounds in his head. It's great. Yeah, his perception is like off the charts in this yeah. film. Like, no one gets anything over him hardly. Well, I love that he goes to that um, woman working there. Yeah. And he's like, what room are you in? And she's like, I'm in room number seven. He's like, give me your key. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, get it's out funny because she totally leans into it like, yeah. oh, hey, that's yeah, Franco Nero. But then he's like, nah, just give me your key. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so Franco good. Nero doesn't want me. Um, mm. so he sets her up in the room to rest, relax, and this is where we get some more of like the story building because that's when he goes out and meets up with George to check in on him, and we learn that George is kind of falling on hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, since he left being his the ranch hand at his family's ranch, he's like become just like a drunk basically. Kind of just does whatever to get a little money to just get some more drinks. It's pretty sad. And there's a very sad What's line. What's that life? <laughs> Jesus, fucking judgmental assholes on this podcast, I guess. There's like, there's like two really sad... That's the guy who's chugging a beer right now. I'm not chugging it. <laughs> I'm savoring it. Oh, I'm sorry. Jesus It's Christ. okay, Michael. You want your you funnel? problem. You're fine. <laughs> hey, you want to funnel some liquor? <laughs> <laughs> Give me that ten of fly viper. Um, but there's two lines that are really sad here where they talk about the banjo and George says, you know, I've only got three strings left. The rest of them broke. <laughs> and he says, you know, pretty soon they'll all break and then I'll be gone. Yeah. That's like a really sad, like Damn, dude. very poetic, yeah. poetic. Doesn't he know you can't go buy more strings? No banjo strings in this town? Well, it's metaphorical, you know? Oh, okay. Um, but the other thing, too, is that, <laughs> like... There's probably not banjo strings in this town. <laughs> uh, Kiyoma kind of asked him, like, how did you become like this? And what he ends up saying is that... Uh, like, he mentions the war and all that stuff, and Kim was like, well, you know, the war's over, the North won, uh, your, your freedom was won, all this stuff. And he says, well, I finally got my freedom, and then I came to understand how much it was worth. Really hard-hitting spot, I think, in the film. Also historically inaccurate, depending on what time the, this it was. Uh, the film's so dreamlike, I'll, I'll give it to you. <laughs> yeah. But it's really the just that North- idea of, like... One you didn't know, mean that freedom was done. That didn't well, I think to... that's the point of the line is that, oh, okay. like, even though that's a thing, like, it didn't really change anything in his situation. Right, there's right, still yeah. all this prejudice. There's still all this racism. Yeah, just saying they're free doesn't really make it so. It, there's no, like, meaning to that, really. Yeah. I do have to say, it's interesting 
that like films have moved so far away now from dropping the n bomb because mm. you probably shouldn't say it. Is that well, what? even in like even in like Western movies where they're like even in uh, Django Unchained, like when they say it, it almost feels like it doesn't hit as hard as this movie does when they drop it. Like, but I think that's by design because you're really supposed to like yeah, it's supposed to hit you in the when heart. It, when they say it, you're like, ooh, oh come on, like come on, man. Yeah. I could see that. I don't know. It. I found myself flinching when they would say it. I'm like, ah, oh, God. Mm. It could be because George is in such a subservient position. You know, when they say it to like, you know, Django or something, he's so badass and cool. Yeah. yeah. You know. But yeah, when they say it to George, you're it, just it does stick. Yeah. You're like, ah, Jesus. Okay. Because he is like a great character, and the actor is so good too with the way he delivers him. Like you really feel for him, and it feels terrible. His situation. Yeah. Uh, Kioma heads back to the family ranch to check on his father, William Shannon. We get cool another flashback scene here. Yeah, awesome flashback scene where he is like riding up to the ranch, and it mirrors it with whenever his father rode up with him for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then he's like looking at himself as a kid, and his brothers are like teasing him and beating him up and all this shit, and the, the kids are in the same frame with. I almost called him Django. <laughs> Kioma. It it's Kioma. fine. It's cool. It's neat. Um, and so we get a little more of his backstory and some flashbacks too that have happened up to this point where like, uh, you know, I guess clearly the father like had an affair with a Native American woman, thus Kioma. And at some point there was a tragedy where like everyone got killed there mm-hmm. except Kioma. He was the sole survivor. So William just like brought him to come live at their ranch and raise him there. And his other kids were kind of resentful. Very resentful. Um, and you know, there's another interesting point with the witch on that little flashback where, like, it's almost implied that she, like, picked him to survive. Yeah, like she saved him, yeah. Like she Does saved she him. Say that? I think she, I says, think she that, says it, yeah. yeah. And she kind of tells him, like, he's doing a fruitless quest to try to, like, save this pregnant woman. And he actually counters her with, like, well, every, you know, life deserves the chance to be born. That's another one of those heavy, heavy lines that's like kind of cheesy, I guess. But, but then he goes super Republican on the kid <laughs> later, and he's like, you deserve to be born, but not taken care of after you're born. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so he, meet, he meets up with his father. They have some cool moments where they just like practice shooting. No, oh, that's such an awesome, awesome shot, scene. dude. The, that's the one with the... It's all black. Dude. Yeah, it's and all black. They, mm-hmm. You hear a gun go yeah, off. That's, bullet hole, you see his dad. Another bullet hole, you see him. Yeah, that was yes. fucking great. And as they keep shooting, it's like the frame is slowly, like the black is slowly disappearing. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Yeah, that was awesome. Purely brilliant. Yeah. And then they have the cool, it's like a wind, what would you call it? Like a, a windmill like kind a, of it's thing. It's like a tilting thing. Yeah. It's like knights would tilt with when oh, they were yeah. practicing. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. they, shoot they, it. they were shooting it, yeah, and it was moving around back and forth. And so you learn that Will was like a pretty famed gunslinger in the area. He was considered like the fastest there ever was. And he's kind of passed a lot of those skills on to Kioma because he even asked him, like, you know, in all your time in the war, did you find anyone as fast as you were? And he's like, you know, I don't think there any there is anyone except for you. Um, so they talk a little bit about like how the city has fallen, how Caldwell's taken over, and he kinda asks Will, like, why did he not like step up and stand up to him? Mm-hmm. And he even says, Well, like, you know, there was a time where I would have but now I'm old and I actually fear death and I fear like I fear trying to stand up to him for the consequences. Yeah. Which which is more of kind of that, that sadness of this like decline that's gone on in this setting. And this is where he learns that his 
brothers are involved with Caldwell too, right? right? They, they've cast their lot in with Caldwell because they think that uh, once he secures the city, they'll be like set up for life, basically. Yeah. I feel like a lot of this story is accidental. Like a lot of the things that happen in it are accidentally like awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, hey, if it works, it works. And those, so those awesome shots. Shots aren't accidental. Awesome shots. Those shots. Awesome shot. No, I mean, like, no, I really, really haven't. Awesome no, there are things like that kind of are alluded to here of like that you get George and you get his dad that are so obviously badasses mm-hmm. in their twilight. Yeah, and you also have like spaghetti westerns in their twilight mm-hmm. like all of these famous spaghetti western stars or all these western stars are now it's kind of like the unforgiven yeah thing i'm not gonna say it's the unforgiven of its time because unforgiven's way fucking better but like kind of deals in those same tropes you know what unforgiven needed some caterwauling <laughs> god damn it. but you are right michael it is one of those things like if this had been the last spaghetti western that was ever made it would almost be poignant in a way yeah the way everything's presented Especially that last scene. Um, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. There's another amazing uh, line exchange here that I put down that I wanted to get into. They're talking a little bit about the Civil War. And Kiyoma kind of just offers up like he wonders what it was all about. And his father is... States right, son. States right. What do you mean? He says, well, the war, I could never quite figure it out. And what his father says to him is, uh, he says, this war, I'm not sure I know. I figured after we got through slaughtering all those Indians, we thought we ought to do something generous. So we went and gave freedom to the black man. Now we feel good, so we can go back to finish off the Indians. Yeah. Damn. And that's such yeah. a nihilistic view, but like... It really but is. also yeah. not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> it's just another of those, ooh, hits so hard, and you're like, damn, man. So good. The history major in me that wrote a lot of papers on the Civil War is like sitting here going, oh, that's not even a touch of it but okay <laughs> how long do we got Let's break down theories of the civil war problem so meanwhile we get a little bit of caldwell and his gang uh we meet the brothers the three brothers finally what is it it's uh butch lenny and sam i think yeah they're rounding up more plague victims mm-hmm. so they got their they got masks they're wearing their masks you know so they're doing the bare minimum at least oh yeah <laughs> So we don't even see their faces. Not at first, no. Yeah, but he knows who they are. Kiyoma knows who they are. And they're they're worried the fact that he's back in town. They've heard rumors, and they're like, well, that's probably Kiyoma. Uh, and they know that there's been little trouble in the city. <laughs> they're like, there's a dude wandering around with half a poncho. He's got <laughs> hairy chest and long hair. That's Kiyoma. Yeah, that's Kiyoma. <laughs> it's been the same since he's a kid. <laughs> I remember it. <laughs> so notably, they, they go back into town, and they get Liza... Mm-hmm. And they're gonna round her up and take her to. A, there's a mine that used to be there. It's like abandoned now, I think. And they've made like a little encampment for the plague victims. Yes. And they're gonna send her on. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it? I think George tries to intervene, and they kind of brush him off very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And there's a sad moment too, where it's like he kind of pops out on the brothers. He's playing the banjo, trying to like oh. talk to them. That might be a little later on, but it just came to me now to talk about it, like. When he meets Kiyoma, it's such like a kindred reunion between the two of them. Mm-hmm. But then the other three brothers are just like, whatever, man, like you don't matter. Yeah. And Kiyoma sees him and he's like, George, don't, do you see how badass I look? <laughs> <laughs> you used to be this badass. What happened to you, man? <laughs> you see this chest hair? But so, uh, yeah, he goes back. He finds out what's happened. He runs off to this encampment to pick her up. Isn't this when he has a bad exchange with George, though? 
this is because he wants to know what happened and where she's gone. Yeah, and he's getting impatient. He drops the end bomb on him. Yeah. yeah, really upset me. She's, I'm sorry, George. I didn't mean it. Hey, why'd it? you say it, Joe Rogan? <laughs> sorry. Wow. <laughs> but I do think it's interesting the way it's delivered because the 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 following line where he apologizes, you can really like the way it comes out. It seems like he was hurt, like he didn't mean it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I, yeah. Well, the entire film, he's called Half-Breed. Right, yeah. So yeah. it's like, come on, dude. Just random dude shouting, find the Half-Breed. I was like, ooh, no. <laughs> Every time they'd say, half, find the Half-Breed, though, I just heard, find the Half-Leg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, show up for some yeah. reason. Looks like meat's back on the menu, boys. <laughs> I was at a very different place than you all were while watching this movie, apparently. <laughs> Um, so he rushes off to go rescue her again. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit in between, I think, that happened, too, where doesn't he get the doctor in town to check her out to make sure she's okay? Yeah, yeah. right. And we learn that he's kind of another of the sympathetic people in the city that like wants to see things better, but he's too afraid to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's a theme running through uh, a lot of Westerns. A lot of Westerns, it's yeah. It's a trope, yeah. Mm. yeah. Put a pin in that for now, because he, he's relevant later. Uh, so we get this like first meeting where he sees the brothers again. And again, they do another one of those cool flashbacks. It mirrors that first scene we've seen mm-hmm. a little bit of, where it's the three of them looking at the father riding up with the kid, Kiyoma. Yeah. We get more of the fact that they bullied the hell out of him for no reason. Yep. The they, I mean, the reason was Kiyoma was going to bag a lot more ladies than they were, <laughs> and they knew it. They saw it. <laughs> they were like, no one's going to be able to resist him, male or female. <laughs> But yeah, it's like they don't want anything to do with him. They basically tell Sorry, him like I'm he shouldn't just, have come back at all. Just go ahead and turn my mic off for the rest of this episode. I don't have anything else to say. Um, and it, it's not coming to me. How did, he gets out of this in some way? He what is it? He does. It doesn't matter. Doesn't, does doesn't Caldwell just kind of like give up on it and he just like rides off? Yeah, they just yeah. ride off. They don't really have a com. Uh, they kind of just give him kind of just give him a warning and head on. This movie broke me, man. So it got broken. So he rounds up the chick. Uh, he the kinda, chick. <laughs> Liza. He rounds up the prego. <laughs> Dustin's gonna drop wow. the in bomb by the end of the episode. <laughs> Sorry. Please continue. Uh, and they kind of realize that there's this whole thing of like they could go and get medicine that would actually help these people, and some of them could recover. Mm-hmm. But Caldwell's been blocking that. Yeah. Um, he's been like charging these exuberant prices for like any of the needs in the city and he's kind of just bleeding them dry for his own, own benefit really. Yep. So, and, and then the theory you've got about them just getting rid of the quote undesirables unquote is kind of validated there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was my theory, right? Was it? You pointed at Dustin, that was my theory. Yeah, it was your theory. No one's going to know that he pointed at me until you. He said that. No, right? I know. He knows. He's <laughs> trying to take yes, my... Yes, I, I apologize, Michael. Yes, that was... Your, your <laughs> Thank you. He's trying to take my only valid... Well, it was a good point, so I thought it came from Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> my only valid addition to this episode. Actually, to most of the episodes, really. So, yeah, it is this part. Once they get back to town, this is where he takes her to see the doctor. Yes. She's doing good. She's fine. No signs of the plague at all. And this is where he kindly finally like reaches out to the doctor and to George and is like, you know, we need to do something. Mm-hmm. We, and they're like, well, it's too much. It's we're risking our lives. And he turns on that Franco Nero charm, you know, and just he just sells it. We got to do something. He's got a way of talking people into things. Oh yeah, and out of things. Probably talk me into a few things. <laughs> I can tell you that. 
Honestly, I just hope Erica's listening to this episode and just like sharing the love of Franco Nero. God, he's so great. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when we did Fifth Chord, you put like Michael swoons over Franco (laughs) Nero or something like that. (laughs) This one, Michael continues to swoon over Franco Nero. Oh, yeah, that's probably be what I'll put. (laughs) Is this Um, when she smuggled out of town? Yeah, so this is where they set up they're going to smuggle her out of town. And George and the doctor are going to do this whole run to both notify a marshal and, and get medicine. And, get medicine. Yeah. Um, and this is also where Kioma kind of confronts his, uh, his brothers to make the distraction. Oh, yeah, there's a big old fight. Fist fight. And it's real great because he kind of like points at one yeah. <laughs> and is like, yeah, come on, let's fight. <laughs> this fist fight killed me. Like, Okay, why? The... Everything about the stances like <laughs> that Kioma uses or some like I don't know what George taught him. <laughs> I think it's cool. And the way it's shot too is it's just Fran- like really awesome. It's Franco foo. <laughs> <laughs> like the one I love is I guess the second brother that he fights. Uh, the names I, I struggle yeah, with the names on them, the names. but he like they're going along a fence and he like beats them along the fence and then he like stumbles behind the fence. And then he, like, punches and pummels him back the other way and then, like, knocks him back out the other side. Yeah. It's just a really cool shot. It was fun. The fight that I'm thinking of the most is the one, like, out in the middle of the street mm-hmm. with the Dapper brother. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Where Kioma's, like, just he, wild throwing haymakers at everything. Well, isn't and, that the one where he gets, like, the gut punch on him right away? Yeah. And that kind of makes him <laughs> off-balanced and weird, yeah. and weird acting. But, like, the dude just, like, Kioma's charging him and stuff, and the dude just sidesteps him. You know, like, it's just, <laughs> it's it, a... Did it, it didn't distract anyone, because one of his brothers looked a lot like Donald Sutherland. Yeah. I can see that. <laughs> did, you, uh, yeah. did you all get that, too? I can see that. Okay, all right. Just making sure um, So, a few things happen in the result of this. They fight. It's kind of inconclusive. The brothers go running back to Caldwell. He sort of disowns them, because they're too cowardly to yeah. take care of his brother. Notably, isn't their fa- their father shows up, and that's kind of why they taper off with fighting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, yeah. Because um, of course, they still, despite everything that they've done, they still kind of have this respect for their dad. Sure. Uh, which is interesting later. We'll mm-hmm. get to. Um, so, with the help of his dad, they get Liza out of town. Meanwhile, George and the doctor kind of ride out to that checkpoint with the bandits. He feigns that George has died. Yeah, riddled with the plague. They don't bother to check hardly. They just like peek at him and let it go. <laughs> and he says something like, "How there's such a stench or something like yeah. that." It's like, ooh. Um, but they, they say they've actually. Yeah, I think they said something about his stench earlier in the film too. I think it's the second time. Yeah. <laughs> but they get out. They ride free. They're on their way to get the medicine. Get a marshal. Try to get some semblance of order back in the town. Mm-hmm. I liked um, their interactions, like when he tells George he can be among the living again. Yeah. And there's like this just joke between the two, and they're like, bunch of dumbasses. <laughs> <laughs> it's like if uh, Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau like, were to play this role. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got him out of here, yeah. And it's great to see that turn with George as a character that, like, once he finally inspires him into action, his demeanor and the way he changes, and he's like, you know, on point about everything. Yeah. Super cool. He just needed that little boost. Yep, the old, the old Franco Nero boost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they get the medicine. Get the medicine. They come back to town triumphantly. Everyone's excited. They got supplies for everyone, all kinds of goodness. The marshal's going to be a few days away. And when he sees them going back, Kioma heads back because he knows there's going to be trouble. Sure. 
He, uh, he leaves Liza with his father, I think, to look after. Mm-hmm. They're, like, camped out, kind of, like, at the, the edge of, like, a mountain or something. That's right, yes. It's a weird little spot. Um, and this is where we get another amazing dialogue scene. This is where the, the like, uh, con- ex-Confederate soldier you've been talking about, Michael, this is where he, like, hams it out totally. Yeah. Where he's like, Mr. Caldwell owns everything in this city. <laughs> <laughs> he's having a great time. Um, but he tells them, like, you know, you've, you've paid for the water. you got to pay for this medicine. You're going to pay, like, huge prices. you got to pay for everything. Mm. And Kiyoma just shows up there and is like, hey, I'll pay. And then they're like, oh. And he's like, yep, I'll pay four cents. Yeah. And they're like, oh, that's not enough. And oh, yeah, like, that's a good scene. Yeah, it's the price of four bullets. And then just another amazing camera shot. Yeah. It's filmed from like his hand, camera's right behind the hand, four fingers up, and he yeah, counts. It's like his POV. One, two, three, four, and each finger that drops is one of the men mm-hmm. standing around. What I wish though, you everybody wanted like I wanted to see him like leave the one with his middle finger. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I wanted to see. Cause then he hands that dude the bullet. I'm right? not he, sure that gesture goes back that far though, does it? He shoots the first three. Oh, you were all up that wound was put so long about it, and now you don't care about the middle finger? No, because it would have been funny. <laughs> <laughs> but then he walks up to that fourth one, gives him the bullet, and says to take it because it has his name on it. Yeah. Man, such a badass moment. <laughs> it was. I just love how that dude gets it later. <laughs> oh, yeah. A long time coming. So things are good, but of course people run and go tell Caldwell. Mm-hmm. He's kind of disowned the brothers at this point. Mm-hmm. They're off on their own scheming because they're hoping that Kioma and Caldwell will take each other out yeah. and then they can just kind of run in and take over the town. Right. So Good plan. So yeah. they're scheming. Mm-hmm. Decent plan, I guess. Yeah, I like it. Um, so yeah, Caldwell rallies his men, comes back to the town. This is where we get our big classic spaghetti western shootout. Yep. This is... This is the best part of this movie for me. Hell yes, it is. It's amazing. And there's some really hilarious stunt work in this stuff, too. Like, overall, great stunt. Like, the oh, guys, yeah. they really, the guys who did stunts for this movie really went hard. Like, oh, they're yeah. throwing themselves hard. There's one specific one that gets me, and it's a dude rides in, jumps off the horse, jumps over the water trough. And immediately gets shot by Kioma. Oh, yeah. But, like, he jumps over the trough, and in one move, he just gets shot and jumps straight up in the air. Yes. <laughs> it's like the bullet somehow hit him upwards. <laughs> it made me think of the exaggerated, like, tokusatsu, like, Power Rangers thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looked like... Yeah. <laughs> you could see this dude, like, doing up. cartwheels and, like, flipping yes. over everything just to get hit. Um, but at first, they kind of overwhelm Kioma, and then it's this just awesome heroic moment where like George shows up, he's helping him, his father rides in, he's helping him, and it's just the three of them against this whole gang, like weaving in a. It's really like paced, interesting, where they'll like weave into a building and do a bit, and then it cuts over here, it cuts to this. It's very like dynamic and frantic mm-hmm. the way it's paced. Kioma has a lot of knives in this scene, and I'm not sure where he got them all. <laughs> Because like most of them, he grabs after he throws it. Yeah, Yeah, there's a couple you never see it, and it's just like all of a sudden it's like. (laughs) I am glad you mentioned that, Jason, because I do think there's some interesting like attention to detail. Because you do not every time, but often you see him retrieve the knife. And there's a few times where it's like he'll be in a building, and you'll see like in the background there's a guy coming, and we actually see him take the time to reload the shotgun. Yeah, and pull back each hammer and get ready. Yeah. That's nice. You don't always get that in Which, the older westerns. Yeah, usually, especially for spaghetti westerns, this is like infinite ammo yeah, time. Uh, I do think that one of the coolest scenes of this entire gunfight is when Kioma 
like gets the upper hand on this dude who's got uh, upper purchase. You know, he's got yeah. the high ground and he's like behind some barrels. <laughs> he says, "Don't try it, don't Kiyoma. try it, Kiyoma. <laughs> <laughs> you underestimate my power." Well, then, so Kiyoma takes that dude out, but then he's pinned down because all these dudes start shooting him, and he looks down and sees there's two horses, yes, tied up underneath him, and he just like kicks open the boards and drops down onto the horses and fucking takes off. Yeah, he's like riding down in between them. I guess he's got a foot in each stirrup. Yeah, you know. But then those poor horses get shot out from under him. Yeah, they and they trip him. That's and actually, I have a little note about this too. So. Let me find it real quick. Is it about the British version? It is. Where they cut out four seconds? Yeah, they cut out four seconds, and it was for one of the horse falls in this scene because it it flagged on their policy about animal treatment. They thought it was too cruel the way it looked. Mm, It did look pretty cruel. I have to side with the British film board for once on this one. (laughs) There's... Oh, shit. Um, There's... Like, there's obviously horse falls that are trained, Mm -hmm. and you can see them, but then there are horse falls that they really... Yeah, they just trip them. They have the wire, yeah. and they just, yeah. And this seems pretty hard Yeah, see it. And notably, I think currently video versions in uh, the British region are rated 12, but when it first came out, they actually rated it X, which is like age 18 for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because you just have all these people seeing Franco Nero, and they immediately <laughs> like become a woman or a man. <laughs> True. Their True. choice. <laughs> Honestly, their choice, whichever they want. And interesting, through this whole shootout, Caldwell's like doing nothing really. We'll see him now and again, and he's kind of just ordering people. He's got the little like yeah. uh, bridal whip, and he's just sort of like flicking it around and being like, oh, get him. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do the dirty work. He's, yeah, a, he's exactly. a job creator here. He doesn't do the dirty work. I do kind of think, I hesitate to say this, I kind of think this shootout went on too long. Mm. I, I can I concur. I can see it, but I just love it so much, man. Because eventually they run out of things. Well, I think you the know, like, cool thing is, is that they have this momentum, and then as they run out of steam, that's when the tide begins to turn. Yeah, and the gang starts to like pull ahead in things. Cause... Well, we get the guy who uh, Kioma gave the bullet to, mm-hmm. and he's got Kioma pinned, and he actually shoots him. Yep, shoots him in the like the hand, right? It's like a grazing shot. I yeah, think. and he drops his guns, mm-hmm. um, so he's now. Doesn't have his guns, and you—I don't think you ever saw him pick up the knife again. So it's like stuck back in somebody. Um, but like, as he tells him, it says something like, "This bullet ain't got nobody's name on it," or something like that. <laughs> uh, but Kiova just like grabs a pitchfork head and just flings it directly into the dude. Yeah, yeah. This dude is just like anything around him is a lethal weapon. <laughs> if he can throw it with enough velocity, it's going to kill somebody. <laughs> and. The, Perfect Foley artist yes. move right here, too. It was like... <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. And then I love, too, like, I think maybe twice in this whole shootout, like, Kiyomo loses his guns, and then he'll just kill a guy and, like, take his rifle yeah. and just keep rolling with it. Yeah. This is, though, where we start to lose some characters. Yep. Um, George <laughs> and William are holed up in the saloon. They've kind of been there for a while, like, defending that position. George's death is fucking hilarious. It's interesting. Um, and I say it's hilarious <laughs> because... He's kicking ass left and right, and oh, then yeah. he gets shot. But I say it's hilarious because there's a really interesting dubbing choice here. And real quick before you launch into that, because it is amazing, I want to talk about it. They set up a thing where earlier Kioma had asked George where his bow was, and he mentions he hawked it just to get some booze. And so during the shootout, at one point they're in like the, the general store... And the bow's just there behind the counter, and he picks it up again and is using it. <laughs> and there's some great kills where he just like sinks an arrow right into someone, True, yes. wipes them out. 
Michael, continue. Um, so he gets shot. Yep. And he turns on the dude that shot him. And for <laughs> some reason, like, obviously the actor screams. Mm-hmm. And he's going into a rage, like, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yep. But for some reason, <laughs> they decided to dub it with this insanely high-pitched scream <laughs> of him going, ah! <laughs> and like he just keeps going. They keep shooting him, but like this scream keeps continuing. It's like they were like, "We need somebody to dub this." Where's that woman that's been caterwauling this whole goddamn movie, and see if she'll scream over top of it? Um, but yeah, he attacks the dude. You know, I think it's a very arresting scene. Because the way that audio sounds, it really like pulls you in on that. Moment. Uh, well, yeah, I yeah. was. That's the scene where Hawthorne turned and looked at the TV and was like, "The fuck are you watching, Dad?" You know, <laughs> it's a big deal. I remember you said your your kid like almost never regards the TV hardly. He really doesn't pay that much attention to the TV. Yeah, I'm really lucky in that fact. It but. sort of undercut George's death for me a bit though, because when he falls, his banjo falls, and you hear it twang. <laughs> Well, see, I noticed that, and I was like, "What?" But then it turns to his dad, and he gets like a sad, frowny face. <laughs> see, I thought that sound was supposed to be the strings breaking, so it was like the metaphor. It is, thing. but it's like it as does. it hits, it's like. Wah, 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 it's just, wah. It was just. It sounded a little silly when it happened, and then all. and then shoot over to Kioma's dad with this like somber face, like sad frown, like oh George. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was sad. <laughs> it would have been a great moment, but there were some editing choices there that you're like, really? Was that the best of the dailies? <laughs> well, it was the the sound effects and stuff, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So they capture Kiyoma's father, and that's kind of the bargaining chip they use to finally put it into the shootout. Because they've got him, Caldwell's there, he's got his gun trained on him, he tells Kiyoma to come out, give up, surrender. Yep. And almost immediately, his dad is like, "Hey, don't don't quit. Don't worry about me. Just keep fighting." Mm-hmm. But it's you know everything to Kiyoma. His father has been like such an influential part of his life, right? So he comes out and he surrenders. And true to Caldwell's character, he immediately guns down his father. Oh yeah, just like brutally, he empties the whole revolver. Yeah, A continuing clicking after mm-hmm. he's done too, like still yep. trying to shoot. But that's when Kiyoma, who is held by some of the henchmen. Franco Nero strengths out and like punches the dudes like in a double backhanded fist and takes off running and like and it's a great slow motion shot with like mm-hmm. the music swelling and he's just barreling at Coldwell and he tackles him right mm-hmm. tackles um, him starts beating the crap out of him but immediately the other dudes grab yeah, a hold of him, on him. Um, yeah, there's just too many people they drag him over um, basically crucify him yeah, yeah they put him up on this big wagon wheel type thing outside of the saloon. Yeah, and he's spread out like Jesus. Franco Nero should have played Jesus in something. Did he ever play Jesus? At the top of my head, I don't, I don't know. Think but so. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd watch that. And I well, do think yeah. it's interesting that they do kind of crucify him in this scene because there's almost like a messianic, mm-hmm. messianic, messianic quality to him. Like, yeah, which we get in all the spaghetti westerns. Um, earlier, there was a line I wanted to talk about. I think it's when he's talking to his father still. And he asks him, like, why he's still wandering around, hasn't found a place, hasn't found, like, a woman that he loves. And Kiyoma says, I want to find out who I am to give the simplest of my actions a reason. I know my being in this world has some, I know my being in this world has some significance, but I'm afraid that when I found out what it is, it'll be too late. In the meantime, I'm a vagabond. I keep traveling, even when the earth sleeps, I keep traveling, chasing shadows. 
So it almost is like he, he blows into this situation and just like sacrificially is going to give all of himself to try to help these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in also true messianic fashion, um, well, I'm really just jumping at conclusion. I'm really stretching that one out. Um, but he is saved. There is a really fun scene though, where um, it starts pouring rain and like storming and he's strung up out there. Well, there's a bit before that though. Okay. The brothers roll in in the wake of all of this. And they see Kiyoma's tied up, Caldwell's there, their father's at his feet. And that's not the, not to the plan that they had hoped. No. So they immediately gun Caldwell down, just cold blood. Yeah. He tries to fight them, but of course he's emptied the revolver, so he's got nothing going on. So they kind of save the day in a sense, but then almost immediately they turn on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the one that you talked about, Jason, it's like the kind of the slick dandy looking one. He immediately starts like addressing the town talking about how there's going to be a change, things are going to be better, blames everything on Kiyoma. Yeah, it was all Kiyoma's fault. It was all his fault. Uh, he's going to be the mayor. The one brother's going to be the sheriff. <laughs> the other brother kind of gets shafted, because I guess he gets the best saloon girl. <laughs> I guess is what he gets. <laughs> Which he even was... nags them about a little bit later on. <laughs> um, and they just leave Kiyoma hung out, and they say that when the marshal comes, he'll be put to justice. Mm-hmm. And... That's where the scene comes where it's pouring down rain and you just get the saloon is like all active and you see dancing silhouettes inside the saloon while Kiyoma's like tied up out there. But this is where the witch shows back up. Yes. Which I don't remember what she said. She kind of just reiterates the fact that he's like, you know, it's, it's his time now and she's going to come for him. And we've seen her several times through the film and it's always interesting things like right before the shootout happens, he's staring down the guys and they're about to start fighting and then you hear, like, often she has this cart that she drags along, mm-hmm. and you hear it creaking, and it kind of pans, and he's, like, side-glancing down an alley, and you see her, like, a street over just, like, coming by. And if you, I think, like, we'll get into it more, but, like, she's very much like a personification of death to me was how I took it. Yeah. She's almost like the fairy man, you mm-hmm. know, like, and she puts the souls on her cart and mm-hmm. drives it mm-hmm. on. And so clearly she's taken an interest in him, but, like, she's... As she continually warned him, like she's tempting at this point, like he will die if he continues this. She's path. always there, she's always looking around the I corner. Got my eye on you, Ed Harley. <laughs> Not yeah. that witch. And so she's That's always she's one. always just looming, and so she comes to kind of meet him at this point and like say, like this is it, probably you're gonna die. Mm-hmm. It's it's the time for me to take you. But however, Liza, yep, is grabs her almost given birth ass onto a horse, <laughs> birth ass. and. Uh, yeah, she wakes up alone in the middle of nowhere with a horse, <laughs> realizes something. Whoa, that happened. sounds really bad. <laughs> realizes she had way too much to drink. Yeah, only because you're like a raging pervert, but okay. Franco Nero did it to me. I'm, I was fine before I watched this movie, and Franco Nero made me this way. No, you were always like this. <laughs> yeah, so she knows something's up. She heads back to the town to look for Kyoma, where she finds him. This is where he's hung up in the rain. Yeah. The witch has drifted off. Don't they even, like, he's looking at one point and it's the witch, and then his vision kind of blurs, yeah. and it's her, yeah, and she's come there for Liza, him. yeah. And so she gets him down. Mm-hmm. She's got him a horse. Yep. And kind of leads him off or whatever, and, you know, for safety. Yep. And this is where I, I'm like, what, what is going on? <laughs> well, so everyone else, since it's storming, they crowd in the saloon. New, bright, happy days are ahead of them, apparently. And they're partying up, having a good time, and someone happens to go outside and notice that Kiyoma's gone. Mm-hmm. So they warn the brothers, and they're like, shit, we gotta take care of this. We need him out of the picture. So they ride off in pursuit of him. Mm-hmm. And this leads us to kind of our final yep. 
you know, big scene of the movie. It brings us back to that ghost town from the start. It was the first place he drifted through yeah, on the way in. Yeah, it's falling apart. And they're kind of holed up there. Liza's about to have the baby. So he's kind of just watching over her as best he can. He's, he's battered and beat up. I don't even know. He doesn't have all his weapons either, right? He's got like so, no. a gun, one revolver, I think. And the brothers ride up, and they're kind of watching. And it's this cool shot where it's like they know they're in there because you can hear Liza. like She's starting to go into labor, mm-hmm. so she's making a bunch of noise. And you see each brother on their horse kind of watching. And Kiyoma hears a sound and realizes that they're out there. So he comes out to face them, and you see the same shots again, but it's just the horses. And they've like moved out into the town. Yeah. And so you have this almost like cat and mouse uh, shootout slash fight that they have, mm-hmm. where as Liza's giving birth, they are trying to kill Kiyoma and put an end to this. Yep. Juxtaposition. Yep. In this moment of like death looming, you also have life coming at the same moment. Right. Um, some cool kills here, I think. I like the one where the brother like drops through the floor. Yeah, and he gets impaled. Yeah. Like, he rises back up. He's got his gun. You think he's <laughs> gonna shoot Kiyoma, and then he turns around. And he's like, oh, yeah, huge board sticking out of his back. Yeah. Again, I wish there was a bit more violence, a bit more blood. Mm-hmm. It's more subdued at this point. I yeah. Think. Uh, so he dispatches the brothers. Mm-hmm. Liza gives birth, <laughs> and this is the first time in the film we see the witch interact with anything at all, other than just speaking to Kioma. Yeah. So maybe she's actually there. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> um, but we see she's got the baby. The baby's been born, and this is maybe something we should talk about. My interpretation that was that Liza died. Yeah. In childbirth, I think That's, she died. Yeah, she was okay. dead. Which also, I think, is the interesting reason why the witch is with her. Mm-hmm. Because she's dead. You're right. And so she kind of urges, like, Kiyoma, like, it's resolved, the baby's been born, and he goes to get on his horse, and the witch tries to stop him, and is like, you can't go, you have to look after this kid. Yeah, I think she even says that he'll die. The baby will die, yeah. Because I'm yeah. death, don't you get it? Yeah, he's like, the baby <laughs> will die if you don't do anything. And this is the final line of the film. God damn it. You really hate it, Michael. I'll just read it off. He turns around defiantly to the witch, and he shouts out, he can't die, and you know why? Because he's free, and a man who's free never dies. And I'm like, that's not how babies work, man. <laughs> All right, you're free. You're on your own. <laughs> Figure it out, man. You're free, brother. And if you're free, you can't die. And he's like, can I fucking eat something? I mean, to me, the film is so, like, there's so much surreal, dreamy bits in here that it's more about the ideas, I think, than, like, yeah. the straightforward narrative. But still, like, in true Republican fashion, he's like, no, we must let this child be born. It must be born. It's born. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with yeah. it. Well, we're not going to, you know, help out or anything. We're not going to oh, support no. it or anything like I think that. that's an unfair reading of this film. <laughs> I think Michael's joking a little bit. <laughs> I was. I was like, when I was watching, I was like, wait, that's not how this works, Kioma. Dude, like, that baby's going to die. <laughs> well, I think, too, like, in his situation as a child, he should have died. And yeah. yet death plucked him from that situation, so. <laughs> there it, ain't nobody else around, Kioma. <laughs> in, in a way, it almost feels like he's kind of still tempting that situation of, like, well, you're going to help this kid. Yeah. And it's like that same cycle in a way. And he's almost. like, no, you can't die because he's free. And if you're free, you can never die. Like, the fuck? No, man. man it, the baby needs to eat, Kioma. Oh, man, you're too literal sometimes. It's, it's supposed to lift your heart in that moment. And they'll be like, yeah, cool. 
I just I, I think actually being a father might change his perspective on that sort of the thing. The whole time I was like, dude, somebody got to change that baby. <laughs> Every two hours, that baby needs to eat. Every two hours. And you're riding off into some shit saying like shit about freedom. And you look. should have said that to your wife after she had the kid. <laughs> he can't die. He's free. And you just go off. Go to the tooth bar gone. or something. <laughs> And she calls me and she's like, are you done, Franco Nearling? Like, I think I am. I don't have a shirt on anymore and I don't know why. Um, so that's the run of the plot. That is Kioma. I'm sorry I ruined the ending now that, for you, Dustin. Oh, if you don't like it, you don't like it. But um, now that we've kind of walked through the film, one thing I want to focus back in on with this witch, she's kind of got the vibe of the personification of death. I think mm-hmm. that's how I take it. I think that's how most people probably take yeah, it. Yeah, I agree. I went and like dug into some reviews people have posted online, and some people do kind of have that stance of like, well, maybe she is like a real like, you know, witchy woman like of the a real area. Witch, yeah, yeah. Um, witchy I, I could see that. Woman. I didn't really take it that way because I like the idea that it's like this weird, like, dreamy. She's a character that only he interacts with. I don't think it would be misplaced. You know, like I can believe it given the narrative of the film. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to mention was. This film, like, for being, like, a spaghetti western, it is a lot of just, like, grittiness and kind of just, like, very straightforward, typical of that genre. This element is kind of interesting to me, and it's very, like, in contrast to other spaghetti westerns. And one film I wanted to mention that I think, like, had to be probably an inspiration on this is Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. I can see it. I've not gone deep on Bergman's stuff. I have the criterion set. I really need to sit and, like, knock it out. But I have seen this one. So I think that whole film is about like the personification of death and interacting with a character. It's about uh, it's like you know the time of like knights and stuff like that, and it's about there's this knight and he's gone through the crusades and it's been this horrible like experience. It's just like really like wasted his soul, and he's gone and he's come back to his hometown and he's very disillusioned about things and the way things were and what happened, and when he gets back to his homeland, he finds it ravaged by the black plague, and there's people dying. There's all kinds of injustice. And then he encounters like the actual personification of death and they kind of interact and talk. And the big famous thing of that is they play this chess game and it's mm-hmm. kind of like a, a whole big metaphor about life and death and all this stuff. I really feel like Kyoma channels a lot of that energy into this setup with the witch. Yeah, I can totally see that. And so it's almost like punching up into that artsy level a little bit. It is. Yeah, I agree. That's, I didn't think about that at the time, but you're right. And I dig that. It impressed me. Yeah. Hold on, don't start another. Th- all right, wrap it up. All right, so I think, do you guys have any final facts or trivia to throw out on this? We'll get into our final thoughts, otherwise. Did we mention that this was supposed to be a sequel to Django before? A lot of things are supposed to be a sequel to Django before. <laughs> That's what I read, that this was supposed to be a sequel to Django. And this, you know, in other countries, this was promoted as a Django film. Um, in France, it was Django Rides Again. In West Germany, it was Django's Great Return. And then it had some other titles in other places. Like in the UK, one release of it called it The Violent Breed. And one U.S. release called it Kioma the Avenger. Hmm. And there was a Spanish promotion for the film where they listed Sergio Leone as a producer. <laughs> That's just a blatant lie. Uh, yeah, just throw that in there. Why not? Sounds good, doesn't it? Oh, man. <laughs> They're like, fucking prove it. <laughs> <laughs> prove he wasn't in There's no it. internet yet. Fuck you. So I have one interesting bit of deep dive trivia I'll toss out as our, our segue into talking about the uh, our final thoughts. Okay. This was like, you know, they keep promoting this, the Twilight of the Spaghetti Western so Castellari and Nero teamed up again in 94 and they made another spaghetti Western, which is crazy to for one to be made in 94 mm-hmm. in that same like style. It's called Jonathan of the bears. And it was a co-production in Russia. 
co-produced there, shot there. It was just this random deal that they chained off just out of nowhere. That's bizarre. It's just bizarre, man. I've not seen it. I don't know anything about it. A lot of people I saw online kind of compared it like they were trying to rip on Dances with Wolves. Soviet era, too. So. I saw a thing that Nero said, like, no, we were working on it first, and then Dances with Wolves came out. Who knows? Um, but it's weird. It's totally shot in Russia. They filmed it on, like, a Russian army base that was still operational at the time. And sometimes when they were working on the film, there was, like, interruptions from the base. Weird. Just totally weird. Totally crazy. So okay. the spirit of spaghetti westerns live on. <laughs> Apparently. Far into the modern times. The fuck, man. Yeah. I think, Jason, final thoughts will start with you. Okay. Um, there's a lot to like in this movie. Uh, I love Franco Nero. He's so much fun. There's some really cool, inventive shots. Um, I wanted to like this more than I did. Uh, at the end of the day, there's not enough. I wish it was, a, I say this all the time. I wish it was a bit shorter. <laughs> I always hit my mic too. Um, you get very angry about the length of things. I do. I get angry about length. It's just... <laughs> and or growth. <laughs> um, I could have used more blood, but the basic story is cool. Oh, yeah. Franco Nero is cool. I, the music does take me out. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. It really does I think more than any other part, when I was checking like other people's slots on Letterboxd, the music's really like, either you vibe with it or you are totally yeah. out on it. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the day, I like this movie. I thought it was fine, but I don't think I ever need to revisit it. I will have to give it two and a half stars. Fuck. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael, I think you're the low point, so we'll sandwich you between us. You know, honestly, I'm with Jason. Mm -hmm. Like, I make fun of this movie a lot. Yep. And I think it's easy to make fun of, because it's... Sure. That's true of a lot of Italian films, I think, from this time. And it also depends on... I don't know. Nero's awesome. Mm-hmm. If Nero wasn't in this movie, this oh, movie would yeah. be nothing. You mm-hmm. know, like his charisma carries most of what he's in. Oh yeah. And but I do think it touches on some interesting themes of racism, kind of ageism in a way. Mm-hmm. And um, the, and the twilight time of like the Wild West in a sense. So it does touch on some interesting themes and I think it does them well. Um it's I but I'm kind of like I don't really need to watch it again. I'm not mad that I did watch it at all. I think mm-hmm. I I had fun with it. So, but as far as like when I think of, this is a hard sell. I think to really, if I were to try to recommend it to somebody, mm-hmm. it's really got to be the right person, and they've really got to know what they're getting into. You know, like <laughs> if somebody's already into like giallo or Italian films or like Euro trash type stuff, you could probably sell it pretty easily because you just all you got to say is like Franco Nero, and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, cool, I'm in. But, like, if I were to try to recommend, there's no way I could sell this to yeah. somebody who's not into that. Mm. But for me, I think I'm landing at two and a half as well. Okay. I didn't hate it at all, but I just don't, it doesn't have that lingering factor for me like some of the other big ones do. Okay. Yeah. That's how I feel. So I think I can be pretty brief on mine. We know I love this film. Obviously, it's, it's evident. You, you, you brought it to us. I've mostly gushed my heart the entire episode. <laughs> and we've trampled on yes. it. So to be real quick, I'll just be frank about it. Oh, you'll be what about it? You'll be Franco Nero about it. Uh... So I think we talk about this plot in the story. It's not wildly original or special in any ways. I think there's some interesting themes, definitely like the racism, the ageism. This whole like dilapidated like destruction of the West and the kind of the focusing on the negative and like the little string of hope that comes through. 
But, you know, in the realm of spaghetti westerns, if you've seen a lot of them, you know this plot. You know how it's going to play out mostly. The only surprising parts are really like this witch element and sort of these surrealist dips the toe into the acid western. That said, though, I just think this film is so damn enjoyable. I love it so much. Every aesthetic level. I think the music's great. I know that's the big sticking point for a lot of people. I vibe to it. I got that CD. I'm rocking it. I ripped the MP3s. You know. Do you listen to it when you're driving down your car at full volume? Um, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he pulls up to a stoplight and he's like bumping it <laughs> and rolls the window down and somebody and like just the look of confusion <laughs> on the other person's face um, is like, is this avant-garde? Like, what is this? Visually, I think it's wildly beautiful in a lot of the shots. There's so many clever camera tricks and little things. Use yeah. of slow motion. Those like panning, like real-time flashbacks. Mm-hmm. The acting, just like so many great lines and little delivery and like mannerisms and everything about it, like... Aesthetically, I think it's just a smorgasbord of amazing stuff. Undoubtedly, I think it's one of my favorite westerns of all time, and I would totally just give it five stars. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a diehard on this one. Hey, I, you're an unusual person sometimes, but I always I, I could I, I am. when I watched this though, I knew you loved this. <laughs> well, like yeah. this yeah. is Dustin written all <laughs> well, over it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no question that this is Dustin, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that you brought it because there's no way I would have watched this. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is like the span of what westerns can be oh god like holy shit if you look at the three films we've done just and there's no like you can't argue at all this isn't a western oh yeah like that's not even a possibility of an argument we usually start out like is this a western it's a western this is a western oh yeah so that brings to a close our little foray into the western yeah let us know what you guys thought about that it's definitely our first departure we usually lean into horror because that's just what we love Hope people were able to dig this. If it's not your thing, get out of your comfort zone. Try some of these films, or if not these films, maybe some of the ones we've referenced in comparison, perhaps. Yeah. Sure. And as always, Dustin does a great job on show notes and goes through and meticulously lists every film that we talk about and and mention. So you don't have to go back and re-listen if you're like, what are they talking about? Just check our show notes because Dustin always... You'll see everything. Dustin always takes care of that for us. Sometimes it's hard to find a trailer for some of the obscure ones, but... I get us there. He does a good job. We give him a hard time, but we love him. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. So, like we've kind of set up our format, our next episode is going to be a listener episode, so we kind of shake shake off the westerns, cool down, get to something else. I admit I'm a little nervous about this one. And it just so happened that we've recently got a listener request for a film that you talked about recently, Jason. One that you over, it up. maybe oversold to me a little bit. <laughs> as a, What was it? A mashup of David Lynch and David Cronenberg, I think. <sighs> and you were a little worried about you maybe oversold it to me. But now it's been suggested to us. And I thought there's no better time than to go ahead and do this, knock it out, talk about it. Which, I, I, it's cool for me because I, I thought about bringing it to you guys anyway. Mm-hmm. So at least... I know I'm not the only one who loves this movie because mm-hmm. Urban Groucho loves it. Yep, this is from uh, one of our Twitter followers. Thank you so much for this recommendation. Next time we'll be checking out Come True. I don't know, Jason, do you want to pitch us anything before we... A little teaser? Um, if... Ooh, um, it's... He's gold-blooming. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, oh my god, just... Just flow with it. Buckle the fuck just, up. Just flow with it. Just uh, fl- flow. Uh, uh, just, uh, just, just flow with it. Uh, okay. Yeah, just flow okay. with it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Guys, thank you so much for writing us. It makes our day. Anytime a message come in, comes in, it kind of validates that why we're doing what we're doing. Um, as always, thank you so much. Um, please give us a shout on any of the social platforms, or you can send us an email, whatever you want to do. It's totally cool. 
Um, and again, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. A man that's free will never die. <laughs> that kid's gonna <laughs> die, man. That kid's gonna die. <laughs>